and driving, and shopping, and eating, and working. Somewhere, somehow, they all got chewed up and spit back out. They don't taste like living anymore. Don't you see what it's like in this deranged, wearing blender of a world? Every day is an agonizing ordeal. Like balancing a pot of scalding water on your head while people whip your legs and butt. Ah, oh, you never forget your senior prom. You think I'm sick? Well, the only disease I've got is modern life. A schnug-busting gauntlet of inefficiency and misery that's one long parade of letdowns, put-downs, trickle-downs, shutouts, freeze-outs, sell-outs, numb-nuts, nick-and-puts, and nimrods. All making every day as much fun as waxing a flaming Pontiac with your tongue. Where even if you do luck into the possibility of some fleeting pleasure, like, say, if some nymphomaniac telephone operators with the muscle control of Romanian mat slappers agree to a little strip air hockey, it'll be over before it starts. Because some valve-lacking, feather-reeking cab jockey slams his checker up your hatchback, and the cab is owned by some pinata spanker from a Santeria cult in Wakalpa who starts shaking chicken bones at you and gives you a boil on your neck so big, all it needs is Michael Jordan's autograph to make it complete. And even with all this, with all this, I still drag my sorry butt off the ceiling every morning and stick my face in the reaping machine for one more day. Knowing when it's time to flash the cosmic card key at those pearly gates, I won't be in the coffin anyway, because some underhanded undertaker sold my heart, pancreas, and other assorted good and plenty to the same Santeria cult. So does anybody really wonder why anybody is hanging on the Saturday by the atoms on the tips of their fingernails while life dirty dances on their digits? And is it really any wonder that I say deranged? Seven minutes and 15 seconds after the hour of 11 in this, the month of October, in the year of our Lord, 2008. Thank you for coming along and making a part of your listening day. We are live from the plushly appointed yet not overly ostentatious studios of AM 970, The Talker. This, my friends, is the Rick Emerson Radio Program, an excursion into whimsy. Uh, it is Monday, and welcome to Day 12. Thank you for coming by making a part of your listening day. It is uh, 503-733-2970. You want to join us today? 503-733-2970. 970-503-733-2970. We'd like to get on board with your comments, questions, clarifications, kvetches, kvetches, two cents, ruminations, ponderings, limericks, musings, haiku, recipes, whatever. 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Uh, Richard Bristol standing by, ready, willing, and able to uh, pass along your observations about the interesting, the groundbreaking, the tedious, or the mundane. And, oops... Sorry about that. I was adjusting my watch, and I just hit the microphone with this pen. Uh, today's pen is the precise V5RT from Pilot, which is my new writing implement of choice. I am speaking to you through the ElectroVoice RE20, the finest microphone known to man. With these implements, shall we create genius? Uh, it's 503-733-2970 on this Monday. Lisa Desjardins joining us today. 11.30? 11.35? Something? What? What's that, Sarah? Your mouth is moving, but there's no sound coming out. Maybe I've gone deaf. Maybe it's not that your microphone and mouth aren't working. Maybe it's that my ears have stopped functioning properly. You're speaking, but there's no sound coming out. Doggone it. It's weirding me out. Oh. oh. I think... Are you screwing with me? I can't really tell if you're making any noise at all. Are you doing like a Marcel Marceau thing over there? It's it's on the pots on. Do this. Do the walking against the wind thing. Now, trapped in an invisible box. Okay. Hey, uh, engineering department of CBS Radio Portland, if you're listening, Sarah's turning on her mic and speaking, 
No sound coming out. So there you go. Uh, you might have just just stop. Just quit trying. <laughs> uh, all right. It's 503-733-2970. Sarah just ran out of the studio down the hall to get the engineer. All right. Oh, my. That was pretty great just now. She did uh, She did kind of a you thing where she hit the on button on the microphone, and then she started speaking. Uh-huh. And there was no sound coming out, and so she went back and she started jabbing the button again, and then still no sound. Hey, try it, try it now. Yeah, I knew it wasn't going to work. I just wanted to see if I could make you do it. Yeah. Uh, let's see. What else is coming up today? Seeing a radio correspondent, Dick Juliano, will be joining us uh, from the Hill. Okay, what do I have here? Senator, this is a quote. Senator John McCain said Sunday he's, quote, very happy with the way his campaign is going. And that's just sad. Seeing uh, uh, a radio correspondent, James Roop, joins us today. Uh, a little bit of uh, Britney Spears news. It's only interesting because they could be sending her to jail for six months. I mean, we all know it's not going to happen, but a boy can dream, can he not? Look, I didn't think they were going to convict O.J. So, you know, it could be, uh, could be the time of miracles, as Hans Gruber would say. What else is coming up today? Uh, we'll have uh, today's top five. Top five celebrities you didn't know made a musical album. Uh, there's no Shatner on this list. No Mae West on this list. No Telly Savalas. None of the, the classic sort of Golden Throat celebrity stuff. These are top five celebrities you probably did not know made a musical album. Uh, what else? Double Snuff Watch coming up today. Taser Watch coming up today. Uh, Bush Watch coming up today. What else? It seems like we had some other watch. I don't know. It escapes me now. Uh, Cannibal Watch. Really? Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, all right, so Cannibal Watch coming up today. Bush Watch, Taser Watch, Double Snuff Watch. More of your uh, phone calls and so forth. Uh, another installment of It's the Worst Song You've Ever Heard. Uh, news, notes, observations, fun facts, and uh, what have you. It's 503-733-2970. Oh, by the way, so I should say this. If you went to rickemerson.com over the weekend or if you were at the my um, space page, You'll see that all this weekend we were sort of promoting a huge announcement, big announcement, major announcement, mega mega announcement. I think the major announcement for today might be that the announcement is put up till tomorrow. I'm not, I'm not positive about that. I hate to be that guy, but I think that the announcement we were going to have uh, today might be tomorrow instead. I, uh, I, uh, we're going to look into. It. We will find out. Uh, so hopefully within the hour, but it's possible that the big announcement is delayed till tomorrow. So just uh, be listening. We'll give you, a, we'll keep you in the loop, as they say upstairs. Tim Riley's working on the following stories for your edification on this Monday. The Republicans were bribed to turn a blind eye to Freddie Mac's problems three years ago. Fox News gives John McCain a good scolding. Colin Powell backs Obama and may have a cabinet post. The movie Debbie is beaten by Chihuahuas and bees. <laughs> <laughs> Hundreds of dead squid are washing up on Oregon beaches. Ralph Nader is campaigning in Oregon today. We'll be in Portland this evening, if anybody cares. Who? Ralph Nader. Nader. Ah. Uh. Nader. <laughs> okay. A church burns 70s porn movies. A Florida cop is fired for playfully tasing or, uh, tasering a teen at a birthday party. Excellent. Apparently, you can rent the cop to taser kids. Really? Uh, in Florida. Is that the new pin the tail on the donkey? It is. All right. Excellent. Just for the kids. We're joined today, as always, by the lovely and talented Sarah X. Dillon, who's now speaking on a guest mic. Hello. Hello. How are you today? Hey. Oh, hi. All right. Hey. Hi. So what's up with your regular microphone? I don't know. I, I was having problems with it on Friday. I remember Matt said he was going to come in over the weekend and replace the pot. You know, so it was working know. fine all weekend long, which is weird. Uh, you know, James, it was working fine for him on Saturday, and then Kristen was using it last night. So kids always break things. Maybe it's just you, Sarah. Maybe it's me. Maybe you're like a, maybe you're like a typhoid Mary of microphones. Maybe it's you, Rick. Maybe 
you took away my microphone privileges and I didn't know it. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> all right. So now we've got a guest microphone that is stretched all the way across the counter. And then Sarah's going to lean over into the board. It. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. How was your weekend? It was fun. It was fun. I went to uh, Bremerton on Saturday. <gasps> hung out with my mom and uh, yeah, ate a lot of food and watched movies and stuff. It was a lot of fun. And then hung out with the yeah, and then got back into town and went out with some friends last night. Blah blah. The usual. All right. Did anybody here see uh, W over the weekend? No. See, and I, uh, so my wife wanted to see it, and then I was able to sort of delay it by saying, oh, baby, it looks terrible. Let's wait and see what the consensus is. So I know that uh, Susan Reynolds went to see it this weekend, and I know uh, Fat Boy went to see it, and I've heard her review. She said it was, she said it was surprisingly sympathetic, and that while he is kind of a jackass, obviously, that you don't necessarily want to spend the rest of your life with, that Josh Brolin's performance made it worthwhile. I haven't heard Fat Boy's review. I know it opened at, what, number two? Not no, like four. Really? Yeah. Well, that's kind of sad. Wait, who has seen it? Uh, Susan and Fatboy saw it, but I don't know his take. I know her take. Okay. Which is that Josh Brolin is great. I mean, because the cast does look exceptional. Because it's Richard Dreyfus as Dick Cheney, and then uh, What's His Guts is Carl Rove, and then the other guy is, is the dude. And it's all I can't remember. But I remember seeing the commercials and being really impressed by whoever the cast was. I just... Eh. I don't know. I hate to say this. Look, Rick Emerson does not advocate illegal file sharing. or and, and we here at CBS, we are staunch supporters of copyright law. I'm just saying, if I could just find a way to watch it for free, even. This is not me. I'm not soliciting for tickets. I'm not like, I am not using uh, or abusing uh, my uh, pulpit here on the airwaves to, to, to get something for free that everybody else has to pay for. I'm just saying, I'm going to wait until I don't have to fork over any money for that. Because I just don't think I can bring myself to do that uh, in any event. So uh, there was that, and then we'll talk about Mad Men last night, which was, and I think I didn't see it. Come on, really? Mm-hmm. Why? Was it just because you wanted to prevent me from talking about it today? No. Is that it? Because I, I was watching Cold Case Files, and I started watching it late, and therefore I fell asleep during Mad Men. You fell asleep during Mad Men? Well, usually I, I, I. I'm... By the time I started Mad Men, it was later than eleven o'clock. Oh, me, me too. You know, but I powered through because it's what you have to do. I mean, you have to be prepared for the well, people. Well, being a Tim. newsman, I have to be awake early to peruse all the latest events before I come in here. I suppose that's a fair point. Uh, but, I, yeah, I got a late start in it last night. I can't remember why. Oh, it's because I'm watching The Wire uh, with Lawrence. So we're, we're kind of plow, powering through the fifth season right now. So we're almost done with The Wire. So we ended up watching that fairly late. And then I just and then I was watching something else. What the hell was I watching that put me behind on Mad Men? I think I was watching Election Center with Campbell Brown on CNN because I'm lame. Anyway, she really is. So I was watching that, and I got a late start on Mad Men, which I see now, but I, I can't even give any of my thoughts now. I don't want to spoil everything for you. Well, give your thoughts, well, but just don't be specific. I'll tell you what, I'm going to leave the room. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm going to leave the room. No, don't leave the room. Well, I'm going to at 1130 well, to, to warm up my lunch. All right. And while I'm doing that, I'm going to turn down the radio in the lunchroom. And then you can do that. Okay, well, let me just say, I won't give any spoilers about last night's Mad Men. I will say, goddamn, Don Draper, first of all, he's the greatest guy who's ever lived. I mean, they're yeah. really, look, if it doesn't already exist, there really needs to be a what would Don Draper do, like shirt or button or pin or website or something. Because I would absolutely, if I would wear a what would Don Draper do t-shirt right now. So, you know, if that doesn't exist, uh, one of you all get up on Cafe Press and just make that. I'll, I'll buy that crap today. So... He just continues to be the coolest guy who's ever lived. And, I mean, he's obviously a weasel, and he's a liar, and he's deceptive, and he's deceitful, and false identity, and, you know, what bad bad husband and father and all, and all of that. 
But, I mean, there's just no getting around the fact that he's just the greatest, most stylish guy who's ever lived. But that life of his just continues to get weirder and weirder. So, last week's Mad Men, you saw last week's Mad Men, which is where he picked up the phone and he called someone. Mm -hmm. And he said, hey, it's Dick Whitman, which is, of course, his given name that he never uses because he changed his identity years ago. Uh, and he says, I want to come see you or I'm in town or whatever. Mm -hmm. Last night, we find out uh, who he goes to see. We find out the person that he goes to see, and then it's they spend uh, the lion's share of the program with him, pardon me, with him and this person, and then flashing back to how he knows this person in the first place, and it's it, it, and it it is at once surprising and unexpected, because when they reveal who it is, you go oh, really oh well I guess that makes sense. And I mean you I didn't really see it coming, but once they reveal it, it was great. Uh, what else would See, now I'm doing like one of those Alexandra DuPont reviews where I'm doing the what's good, what's bad, what's great. Uh, that was What else was great last night? Uh, Peggy continues to be a fantastic character because she's slowly asserting herself. That's all I'm going to say. She is slowly asserting herself in the workplace, which is pretty interesting to watch because Peggy on Mad Men is sort of like um, she's a microcosm of the feminist movement. Mm -hmm. You know, she started out as some girl Friday or whatever. I don't even remember what her job was. She was a secretary, right? Yes. And so she continues to sort of make her authority felt and to expand upon her presence in the office. It was, that was last night. Uh, what else? Oh, God. Um, I got several emails from guys about this this morning. <clears throat> there was this moment, which I will not reveal. There was this moment last night that was so awkward and hard to watch. And and that's like the third one of those they've had this season. Because there was the one where Betty's uh, dad is groping her bosom, thinking thinking that she's the mom. There was that. And then there's been you know there was some horrible conversations between between Don and his wife that were very difficult. There is a scene with with Joan Holloway, the the sort of very buxom receptionist. And everybody who saw last night's Mad Men, you know what I'm talking about. There is a scene that is so difficult to watch. And I would like to thank, by the way, the producers of Mad Men for ruining her for the next month. It's going to be a good month before I can feel good about lusting after Joan Holloway. That's all I'm going to say. There's a scene that is, I, I have to just file away all of my horrific and smut-filled thoughts about her. So that's all, that's probably all I can say about last night's Mad Men without, without ruining anything. Oh, oh, and one final thing. One of the little joys of Mad Men is seeing the ad campaigns they create. So there's a fan, there's a there's a hilarious moment when they are creating an ad campaign for uh, popsicles for um, like twin pop popsicles sticks last night. Oh, yeah. And you don't catch it the first time, but the second time they show it, it jumps off uh, the page at you and it's hilarious. So that's uh, that's all I'm going to say about last night's Mad, Mad Men. That's it. I'll wait and then I'll discuss in detail. Right, I'm going to leave it about ten on. minutes. All right, for just a few minutes. I'm just saying. No, no, no. I'm done. I. No, Rick, I, it's for the audience. Rick Emerson's not going to spoil. I am not the guy. You know what? I'm the guy who doesn't spoil, Tim. All right. The unspoiler. All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, what else? Well, there was uh, Sarah Palin on Saturday Night Live. Anybody see that? I did. And? It was okay. I mean... It, it was kind of amazing when the two crossed paths. When Tina Fey and her crossed paths. And I, I think that was... The, the big moment of the evening. You know, it was, it was really weird. Yeah. Um, so it's not like I'm spoiling anything. It's not like it's, you know. It's all over the internets. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's not like it's some Noel Coward thing that I'm ruining him. It's just SNL. But uh, it, the show starts with Tina Fey as Sarah Palin coming out to the press conference in the briefing room. Or she's holding a press conference in front of the, you know, the White House press corps or whatever. And she is kind of doing her thing. And, she, you know, it's Tina Fey as Sarah Palin. And she's, you know, using all of her malapropisms and kind of mangling her syntax. And then they cut to backstage 
where the actual Sarah Palin is standing with Lorne Michaels. And Lorne Michaels is talking to Sarah Palin, and then a procession of people come up who don't realize that it's the real Sarah Palin, uh, leading up to, I think, Alec Baldwin. And so Alec Baldwin appears backstage, and he thinks that Sarah Palin is Tina Fey, and he's, I cannot believe you were going out on stage with that awful, terrible, horrible woman. And, of course, he's standing next to the real Sarah Palin the whole time. And at one point, Sarah Palin then comes out to the podium, and she and Tina Fey trade places. And then Sarah Palin does the live from New York at Saturday Night thing. And so that was it was actually not bad. She was. And here's the okay. Here's the weird thing. Also, I mean, look, Tina Fey's cute as a button. But I have to say, standing right next to each other, Tina Fey and Sarah Palin, Sarah Palin is hotter than Tina Fey. And I didn't think I didn't think that would be the case. Tina Fey's cute. Uh, there's no avoiding the fact that she's very cute. Sarah Palin and Tina Fey, though, right next to each other, Sarah Palin is the hotter of the two. At least that way, at, at least on television. Well, at least on SNL. She she's charming, and she's an old, you know, she's an old beauty queen. I'm just saying. It's she's, a, a, she's a charming, pretty woman. Yeah, she makes Tina Fey look a little scrawny, frankly. Uh, and then there was that weekend update thing where they did the, uh, they did the rap song, which I found, which I found kind of off-putting. Except for what's her name, Amy Poehler? Poland? What's her name? Poehler. Poehler. She's pretty great. She sells it. I don't know that she's that funny, but she is pretty fearless. She does have a lot of energy to her. Amy Poehler, even when her material's not that good, she delivers it really well. But I, but the, the couple notes I did make to myself this weekend during SNL are, let's see, what do I have here? A, goddamn, this country is freaking weird. And I mean, I know there's a long history of politicians going on television, especially going on comedy shows. Mm. Because I mean, all the way back to uh, Richard Nixon, because he went on Laugh-In. There's that hilarious thing where Richard Nixon is trying to say, sock it to me. And, of course, because he's Richard Nixon and he just has no soul, no comic timing at all, no real emotions or personality of any kind, he kept trying to say... And I read an interview with, I think it was Dick Rowan or is it Dick Martin? Well, whatever. It was one of the it guys. Would be, it would have been Dick Martin. But it was kept, Dan Rowan. They talked about how they kept trying... They, they had to rehearse Richard Nixon on laughing, saying, suck it to me, and they had him do it like 75 times, and he was never able to do it. Because, you know, Nixon's not really good at speaking. And so they would, and so they, all right, uh, Mr. President, uh, all right, suck it to me, take 54, and action. And Nixon would just go like, suck it to me? You know, and they would just have to, no, Mr. President, no, suck it to me, Mr. President. Well, all right. And then he would be, take 71. And then he, Nixon would say like, Suck it to me. No, Mr. And they never got a good take. If you see Nixon do that socket to me thing, it sucked all the way through. And so, so it's not like it's breaking new ground for for politicians to be on shows like that. But, um, but it, it was just so freaking weird to see a vice presidential candidate. I mean, the current she's running right now. Like she's three weeks away from maybe taking over the second most powerful spot in the country. She's sitting there at the weekend update desk. While Amy Poehler is doing a rap song as Sarah Palin, and there's like a guy coming out and doing a dance as Todd Palin, and then there's two Eskimos who are like the hype men doing like a chant behind her. I'm sitting on the couch going, like, what is wrong with this country? Like, what the... I mean, and I guess what's wrong with this country is also what's great about this country, because it was just so freaking surreal. But, you know, the overwhelming... The overwhelming sense that I got watching Sarah Palin on SNL, because obviously that doesn't, she didn't make that decision herself. That's, there are handlers and people that sit down in a room and they go, all right, should she go on SNL or not? I, uh, what do you think, Bob? What are the pros and cons? Here's the conclusion I came to about Sarah Palin watching SNL, is that whoever the people are around Sarah Palin and in that campaign who are making the decisions, they have also written off McCain, and they know the whole thing is just toast. 
and that's what chuckling to themselves no, as they do this. No, well, no, it's not just that. That they're also they're also seeing past this campaign. They are already looking past this election into the future, and they are seeing the Sarah Palin brand as the star they're going to hitch their wagons to. I mean, that's the they they must all see the writing on the wall. Uh, the McCain is done, and barring some unforeseen incident, Barack Obama is going to be the next president. So they must have just in their heads already put John McCain in the discard pile, and they're trying everything they can to prop up Sarah Palin so that they can make a little money on her in either 2012 or 2016. So that's those are my two big observations. Uh, let's see what else did I do this weekend. And then we'll break here. We'll come back with Lisa Desjardins. Did you go to Doggy Palooza by chance? I did not. I was too busy around the house. Okay. So Why? I'm just you know I'm you go? glad to see that we're equally lame. So you're holding down the domestic tip, and I'm off taking my dog to. Uh, you would be surprised how boringly domestic I was over the weekend. Hey, you know what? I was at the forestry center with a dog and a sweater. So you know what? It's uh, it's all good. So I, I went. To, I saw that that wolf to wolf thing, which is that scientific that National Geographic exhibit about the. Uh, about the evolution of wolves into dogs over 14,000 years. Okay. But that's just part of Doggy Palooza, which is great, because it's just a bunch of lame rods walking around with dogs on the end of a leash. But it was sort of a... It was sort of a freeing experience because it was just, it was, I mean, there was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people there. And Laura, as we left the house, we didn't take Max because we figured one dog was, you know, enough. We didn't try to keep a hold of two dogs. And Philo was the guy, our dog Philo's real twitchy, needs to be socialized. He's kind of terrified of everything. So we figured it's going to be a good experience for him. And this will, you know, put him in contact with people and dogs, and then he won't be so terrified of everything around him. So I dress him up in the sweater because it's cold outside. And Laura says, well, we have to take the sweater off. I don't want to... We don't want people to make fun of us. We'll look silly. And I'm like, you know, we're going to a thing called Doggy Palooza. I mean, really, do you think we're going to be the only people? And I got yeah, the jig is up. If you're three going to out of four dogs there were attired in some sort of like cashmere outerwear. I mean, everybody there. Costumes? Nobody. They didn't have Halloween costumes, but we saw dogs in like rhinestone sweaters. There was. Can I tell you this? I saw an astonishing number of dogs wearing pink sweaters, and then in spangles across the front it said, "Bitch," <laughs> which is. Which is another, like, America sucks kind of a thing. <laughs> Rick, these are the people you're associating with. I, what are you going to do? They're dog owners. I can't pick who. I can't force them to get rid of dogs. Um, so anyway, so we did. We went to Doggy Palooza, which was great. There was actually a pretty fascinating panel where a cop was there with his canine, you know, the dog unit. And they were answering all these questions about how, like, t- how you take down some guy who's on the lam. So that was great. Um, all right. Are we breaking here? You're giving me the uh, break sign. Yeah, well, because we have to get back in so we can get to Lisa. Right. We only have a while. And then you can speak it in more detail about Mad Men because I'm going to go warm up my lunch for the next few minutes. All right. Well, speaking of things that are frustrating, we get back, I'll tell this doctor's office thing that happened to me on Friday, too. So take a break. After this, Lisa Desjardins, uh, Dick Giuliano, Tim Riley, the Ministry of Truth, uh, Bush Watch, Taser Watch, Cannibal Watch, Double Snuff Watch. It's all on the way. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program for Mother. <laughs> the Rick Emerson Radio Program, an excursion into amusement. It's 503-733-2970. So as we speak, Engineer Matt Green is uh, in the studio endeavoring to fix Sarah's microphone, which he pronounced, quote, completely dead. Well done, Sarah. Thank you. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't mean to laugh. It's hilarious from over there, but... I, uh, I wish you guys could see this, that Sarah is... Uh, I am not having the funnest day right now. <laughs> our, our countertop in here. The sort of table around which we broadcast is basically shaped like a yield sign. And Sarah is on the flat side of it. And 
the microphone through which she's speaking is actually from the from entirely the opposite side of the counter. So we're having to turn the microphone around, stretch it out as far as the microphone arm will possibly take it, and then Sarah has to lean forward as far as she possibly can just to get it. Midway across the board, which means I'm leaning over my keyboard, and I can't look at Rick because I'm like looking, like staring down at the keyboard. Excellent. And the studio is so dimly lit all the time that even the slightest amount of light just throws the whole thing into a weird, you know, sort of relief. And so Matt's got one of those shop lights hanging up over in the corners. He's endeavoring to work on the uh, on the processing, and it's making everything a little, little, little weird. Uh, weird. Uh, let's welcome now to the uh, Rick Emerson Show from the Hill, CNN Radio correspondent of the stars, Lisa Desjardins. Hello there. Hello. How are you today? Good. You know, it reminded me, your studio, the time I was there, it does kind of have that vague conversion van feel. It does. Wait, now Sarah's saying it's too hot. It's really hot in here. Remember when it was cold? Oh. All right. Hey, you know, but when I came in, by the way, it was set at 66 degrees. So we split the difference somehow. It's Sarah's best day ever. Uh, all right. Hey, would you like to know how many times per a minute John McCain blinked during the last presidential debate? I would. I don't know that. How many? Uh, what would your guess be? Now, I'll tell you this. A the, minute? The average human, uh, all things being equal, the average human blinks once every 11 seconds. So oh. that would make it like, uh, that is what? That's like five and a half blinks per minute? Yes? Yep, something like how that. How many blinks per minute do you think John McCain averaged in that debate? I'll put him at eight. Eight per minute, really? Yeah. Okay. Would you like to Would you like to ramp that up at all before we go on? Oh no, because then now it would be cheating. John McCain averaged eighty-one blinks per minute. You are kidding me. John McCain blinked. Is uh, this reliable? I, I have great skepticism for for the entire ninety minutes of the debate. He averaged eighty-one blinks per minute. To be fair, this is somebody who took the first fifteen minutes of the debate and extrapolated out. But, but really, but even for the first 50 minutes, that's a quarter hour, you know? Maybe, but could blinking be like, you know, running? You get more tired at the end. You get your, your, your eyelid muscles get worn out. Well, it's entirely possible. But even, even <laughs> if it's just, I mean, look, if you, if you uh, sort of take that and uh, just roll it out for the entire 90 minutes, that yeah, is, that's, that's 7,290 blinks in an hour and a half. Unreal. By the way, McCain averaging 81 blinks per minute in the debate, Obama averaging 40. So there you wow. go. Wow. All right. So we were going to do a blinking drinking game. Wow. Wow. Okay. We were going to do a, a blinking drinking game, but somebody noted that that would be, um, <laughs> that, that would actually be 145 different. That would be replacing your entire blood supply six and a half times with alcohol. That's <laughs> why we didn't do that. How's your day? Oh, you know, it, it, it kind of like Sarah. It was just uh, eh, not fun in the morning, but now it's now it's turned around. Now we're turning it around. Excellent. Um, all right. Well, a, a few things. So first of all, yeah. John McCain says he's quote very happy with the way his campaign is going. Mm. Um, his campaign staff must be quote very happy with the way he's able to lie somewhat convincingly to the press corps when they ask him about the state of his campaign. So uh, all got things. The Democrats right where they want him. Uh, yeah, they're lulling him into a false sense of security. Um, <laughs> so is there any? Just from your journalistic vantage point, on the economic front, on any front, is there any good news right now for the McCain-Palin ticket as we get closer to November 4th? I, this is the kind of thing that I don't know if it can last two weeks, but right now the Joe the Plumber stuff is getting some traction. And I, I don't know if it's getting votes yet, but it is definitely out on the campaign trail, as, they, as we like to say. I, there are, I talked to a number of swing voters this weekend at rallies that said, yeah, I'm kind of identifying with that. And this idea that uh, Barack Obama is a big socialist, 
people are suddenly, you know, now people who, for, you know, first they're supposed to doubt him because he's Muslim, but he's not Muslim, so no, don't go there. You know, and then we're supposed to doubt him because he doesn't have experience. Well, Sarah Palin doesn't have experience, so they're not going there. Now, you know, the McCain camp is really pushing, especially through Palin, this Barack Obama's a socialist idea. I, I think that um, there people are, that's giving people some pause who may have had pause for other reasons, you know, racist and not racist, other experience issues. Um, so I, I think it's working for, but I'll tell you this, I, I was at a Palin rally on Saturday in Pennsylvania and a McCain rally in Virginia uh, on Saturday. And the McCain rally, Palin crowd, actually very nice, very, very sweet and, and interesting crowd. And then the generally the ones I talked to. And then the McCain rally, though, anger. Actually, Ed, CNN's Ed Henry, I don't know if you saw this, um, member, someone in the crowd actually threw a pack of gum at him. Uh, out of anger, like kind of say, you know, kind of boo, and then... <laughs> what is that for, being a member of the Washington elite, or...? That's exactly what it was for, yeah. I had a guy uh, maybe standing my, my arm's length in front of me, yelling to, with such anger and vitriol that he was, he, like his spit was, was on my <laughs> arm, you know, and it, it was... Sorry, it, I don't mean to laugh. Yelling at the media, yeah, it was really, and, and he said, I really should, I shouldn't, I should probably take people like that very seriously, because they are serious, but... Um, other nutcases. You know, he said, he I mean, said come on. you don't get it. None of you get it. And then, you know, I have my recorder right in front of him. And I said, actually, I just, I got it. I did. I got it. You know, <laughs> and and he, he just kind of looks at me and then starts yelling some more. And he oh. never would. I really tried to have an interview with him. And he just wouldn't talk well, to me. You know, this country is just filled with lunatics. And I don't, and I don't just on mean. Both, right. It's true. Right. I don't just mean on the Republican side of the aisle. I mean, let me tell you right. this. I was talking to my And look, by the way, let me know if you need to skedaddle. Because I know you got kind of I a busy day. we got about a minute left, unfortunately. All right. So I, got, I, will, I will say this. Uh, I I was having the discussion with my wife about this this weekend because I was saying that for every for every sort of liberal insanity, there is a conservative equivalent and so and, you know, and vice versa. Right. And so right. and she, she asked for an example. And I said, you know, creationism is to right wing nutcases as astrology is to left wing nutcases. Hmm. You know, it's the same thing. Um, but really, that guy, the you don't get it, spitting on you, that guy exists on all areas of the political spectrum. He is uh, he is omnipotent. Uh, so yeah. just douchebaggery is everywhere. I mean, yeah, there's just no yeah. getting away from it. Finally, my final point today, and then we'll talk more uh, tomorrow. Great. I am uh, just a stone's throw from Washington State here. Vancouver is just over the river. I'm thinking about making and then selling to uh, my listeners of Vancouver a shirt that says, Member of the Washington Elite. Mm, bam! Oh, oh, hey. Right there. Out of the gate, strong on a Monday. Oh, I like it. That's how Rick Emerson rolls. I like it a lot. All right. Well, uh, I regret that we don't have uh, uh, more time today. I will simply recap what uh, what one audience member said on Friday. Is Your top five is simultaneously the saddest, prettiest, and cutest thing they've ever heard. Oh, jeez. Wow. So, all right. I'm delighted. Enjoy your day, Lisa. We'll talk okay, to you soon. Okay, thanks, guys. All Bye. Right, there you go. Fantastic. Excellent. All right. Hey, Sarah. Hello. Hey. Yay. I can hear you when you speak. <laughs> Thank God. All right, wonderful. How, all right. All right. How are you feeling better that now? Was, yeah, that was throwing me off a little You're bit. A little stressed out there. I was, I was a little stressed, and it was a little warm in here, and, you know, it's... it's Is it really? It, not anymore. Uh-huh. I feel fine. Well, that's because I turned down the heat. No, uh, no flashes heat. of heat on this side of the table. All right. True. When are we talking? Now, what are we doing with Dick Iliano? Is that 45 um, or 50? He's calling in at 45. Okay, excellent. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, so we just have a, a couple minutes to fill. But anyway, so uh, I'm calling out that shirt right now. I'm going to create that shirt. I'm going to begin selling that today. Member of the Washington elite. And he's marketed it right, through, uh, right to people in Vancouver. But come on, do you really think people in Vancouver will get it? No. No, they won't. But, you know, a guy can dream, can't he? Uh, let's see. What else? Um, I had some other point to make about something or other. 
No, no, I guess it's gone. Um, Was it about Mad Men? Because I can't help you. No, it wasn't, although at least Susan saw it last night, so I can I'll talk to her about it. But I, okay, now that Tim's out of the room, how do I put this? Okay, I'm just going to make this observation. If you haven't seen last night's Mad Men, it'll be short. So it's going to be like 35 seconds at most. So you just turn down your radio for about 35 seconds here. And I just have to say that it's kind of a dark, you know, it's sort of a buzzkill thing. Like, I don't really want to bring it up, but I got to say it because everybody who watched Mad Men last night will know what I'm talking about. Because Mad Men, they have gotten so many awkward, great moments on that show. And that don't feel fake. I mean, awkward, cringe-inducing moments that feel even more so because they are very real. Like that sequence where Betty's dad, who has Alzheimer's, gropes her thinking she's the mom. Mm -hmm. You're like, hey, let's go upstairs. And you're watching it going, oh, God, no, my soul. Um, so give me give like 30 seconds, and then you can turn the radio back up. So And then we'll talk to Dick Giuliano. So Mad Men last night, there is this secretary, Joan Holloway, and you've seen pictures of her. Oh, yeah, uh, I was just looking at some pictures of her today. She's gorgeous. gorgeous. I mean, an absolute object of a very prurient adoration by guys everywhere and probably not a few women. And, you know, the thing about Mad Men is, I mean, that, that show is so real and so unexpected in some ways. And so there's this horrible sequence last night. And one of those awful sequences where the camera just stays, doesn't move, doesn't cut away, where her fiancé uh, is feeling amorous, and she is not, and they're in the office at work, in somebody else's office at work, and it goes from him, like, giving her a kiss on the cheek and her saying, oh, you, wait till we get home, to all of a sudden she's, like, pinned down on the floor of the office, and it's like he's, you know, oh. he, then it's a forcing himself on her moment. And the camera just, and there's no music, nothing. The camera's just like the one solitary shot on her the whole time. And you were just sitting on the sofa going, Jesus, God Almighty. So, uh, so thanks for that. I mean, I know that she's a fictitious character and it's not real and the whole thing is made up. But thanks for ruining any, any sort of romantic thoughts I can have about Joan Holloway for the next month. Make me feel like a pervert. Thanks so much. I appreciate it, Matthew Weiner. Thanks. You're a real pal. All right. Welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from the Hill, CNN Radio correspondent and stylish man about town, Dick Giuliano. Hello, sir. Hey, Rick. Hello from Washington. How are you, my friend? Do you watch Mad Men? I don't. I, I'm sorry, I don't. You are poor. I'm not that hip. I, no, you, <laughs> Dick. You are. You are indeed very hip. Let's not have any. Let's not delude ourselves, shall we? You know, I get to be honest with you. I'm a cultural illiterate. Uh, so now, what is the? If you is there appointment TV viewing for you that's not on CNN or C-SPAN? I watch a lot of news, and uh, you know. And I hate to be boring, but I read a lot. All right, no, no, no. no. What are you currently? What are you currently reading? I'm reading a, 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 the the Colonel and Little Missy by Larry McMurtry. It's a story about uh, Buffalo Bill Cody and Annie Oakley, America's first superstars. And is it, this is nonfiction? Yeah, it's a nonfiction. Excellent. All right, good for you. Yeah. Uh, what is your favorite book of all time? Uh, uh, the Rise of Theodore Roosevelt by Edmund Morris, the best biography I ever read, all about uh, uh, Teddy Roosevelt rising from an assemblyman in New York uh, to the presidency of the United States upon the assassination of McKinley. Captures the Gilded Age, you know, the turn of the uh, 19th century to the 20th century, and this enormous figure, uh, Theodore Roosevelt, who was a Nobel Prize winner, uh, who, uh, you know, fought in the Spanish-American War and just did just so many different things. I have to say, every time I start feeling intelligent, all it takes is a phone call like this, and I realize what a piker I really am. So. No, 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 you are not. First of all, you're not. You always say that. You say I have a dumb question. You always ask the best pointed questions. And number two, I just find 
truth, I know it's trivial to say this, but I always find it more interesting than fiction, that, that people like this existed and events like this happened. I don't mean to bore you, but another thing I, I just recently read is called a book called Sin in the Second City. Who knew, this is nonfiction too, who knew in the 1890s that there were 35 to 40,000 prostitutes in Chicago? I had no idea. I mean, it, it was all about these two madams who, who ran this Everly Club that was the most fashionable uh, brothel in the United States when the, when the king of Prussia, or rather the prince of Prussia came. That's where he wanted to go, and that's where uh, a lot of people wound up in Chicago, and these places existed in all American cities. And uh, to me, it's, like, it's sort of old news. It's sort of like the stuff you'd cover if you were a newsman there. Right. That stuff went on. Right. See, and that's so, yeah, I mean, I think really, I don't read a lot of fiction myself. I read, I mean, I've read, you know, a lot of fiction, I guess, in my life overall. But I would probably 80% of the books I read at this point are nonfiction. As you said, not, nothing, no knock on fiction or those who create it, but it's, uh, there is, there are stories that are extant in this world that they're drawn directly from life that are so yes. unbelievable. If yeah, you I think so. If you didn't see the nonfiction label on the spine, you'd never know. So. I, I, I agree. And I think the people who read fiction, I, I tend to find that they tend to be a little more intellectual. They're into sort of the literature of it all and the art of it all, which I, sometimes goes over my head. <laughs> um, so let's talk a little bit about this about this McCain uh, business today. So I, there is what now? There thing a six point differential uh, by yeah. most accounts between Obama and McCain. Yeah, this is the kind of thing that people in the future will be reading about. That how is it that this man? from Illinois came out of nowhere and he is within grasp of the White House and uh, victory seems to be within reach for Barack Obama uh, and yet the race now begins to tighten with two weeks and a day away from Election Day, Rick. The latest CNN poll shows that the nationwide uh, Barack, among likely voters, by the way, this is likely voters, 51% say they will vote for Barack Obama 46% for John McCain. That is a, uh, I guess, the five-point advantage, and that is down uh, from the eight-point edge that uh, Obama held over McCain in the last survey at the beginning of the month. Now, how do they determine what a likely voter is? I hear that phrase a lot. What's that? How do they determine it? They just go, are you going to vote? And somebody yeah. says, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, these are, these are people, uh, yes, in the course of the survey, uh, they would ask them about their voting history and uh, whether uh, they, they are likely to vote, whether they are likely to go to the polls. And uh, that's how they, they wind up in that category, or whether they're people, you know, and, and they'll ask questions to substantiate that if they voted in 06, if they voted in 2004, and then they would be categorized as a likely voter. And so what is the, uh, what is the likelihood, just from your sort of journalistic point of view, that, this, that we could have happen this year, uh, what happened in 2004, when there was even the, supposedly this big groundswell in the youth vote and the youth demographic, uh, that everybody's saying, well, they can't be reached because they don't have cell phones, that's why they're not showing up. Yeah, yeah. And then they, you know, the young vote just didn't materialize uh, at the polls. Listen, I think it's a very good possibility that a lot of these polls could be off, that Barack Obama could be much further ahead than these polls indicate. Why? I mean, you have to really look at the whole landscape of this thing. We've talked about this before, how everything really fundamentally cuts against Republicans this time around, not just the unpopular war in Iraq, not just the unpopularity of the sitting president who happens to be Republican, but also an economy that is so far in the tank, people have seen their 401Ks and IRAs evaporate before their eyes. 
all of this bodes very, very poorly for the uh, candidate who, run, who wears the Republican uh, uniform, John McCain. This is all very good for Barack Obama. Look, at, there, are some po- there are some analysts out there who believe that Barack Obama could win this thing and win it big. But having said that, a lot can change in two weeks. So this, these snapshots are always if the election were today. He's leading in battleground states. He's even, uh, Barack Obama is even showing the possibility of, of winning in Virginia and North Carolina. These are states that have not voted Democratic since 1976. Colorado, which hasn't gone for a Democratic president since 1992. So things, I think, look very, very good for the junior senator from Illinois, Barack Obama. It's, as you said, just to sort of bring us back to where we began, it is fascinating when you look at this and realize that, I mean, this sounds like such a corny phrase, but that we are sort of in the history-making moment right now. I mean, regardless of who of who went, whether it goes to McCain or whether it goes to Obama, this has just been such an unbelievably twisty and turny, multifaceted yes. campaign. I mean, it just you think about everything that has happened in this campaign since primary season started. Things like Rudy Giuliani imploding and Hillary Clinton getting yes. knocked out. And I mean, it's just been just been unbelievably complex already. So I, I think those are wonderful points, Rick, and I think that people really ought to take stock of all of that and enjoy it for the, the moment of history that it all really is uh, and because they'll tell their children and grandchildren about it someday. Absolutely. Always a pleasure, my friend. We'll talk to you soon, Dick. Thanks, Thank Rick. you. There you go. Dick Uliano. Wonderful. Uh, you didn't hear many of my Mad Men spoilers, did you, Tim? I didn't. I turned on the volume of the radio where right. I was. Good for you. All right. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. This email says, Rick, have you ever noticed whenever you say something like, if you don't want to hear the spoiler, turn your radio off for 30 seconds, you then go on for 35 seconds about turning off your radio instead of getting to the spoiler? Just saying. All right, sorry. I try to give people ample warning. It's the only point I'm trying to make. Uh, all right, let's see. What else do we have here? Uh, Rick, during a random visit to the Rick Emerson Wikipedia page this weekend, I discovered someone had edited the beginning sentence to say, Rick Emerson is a world-class douche, most known for the Rick Emerson show. Oh, people love us. I corrected that to say radio personality, although I'd be happy to change it to something else. It says, getting, uh, guarding your back on the Internet's Ken. Thank you, Ken. I mean, I am, it is sort of flattering. I mean, really, a world, not just a douche, but a world-class douche. Think of the competition there must be for such a title. Well, I'd be happy with either. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. Here's what's coming up when we get back. Uh, we'll go to the Ministry of Truth with Tim Riley. Double Snuff Watch, Taser Watch, Cannibal Watch, Bush Watch. Uh, later on, it's the worst song you've ever heard. And the top five celebrities you never knew made a singing album. That sentence sounds so grammatically incorrect, but I don't really know how else to do it. Let me read it right off the page. Maybe a record? Top five celebrities. Well, here's what I've written. Top five celebrities you probably didn't know released a musical album. But that sounds like it's the celebrities that you, like, you didn't know the celebrities. Top five, the, top five celebrities who's, you know, I know how to, I know, I know the talking pretty, pretty good. But there, do you ever do this? And then we'll break. Let me ask you this question. Do you ever find yourself, because here in, here in this room, we're all, you know, we're all fairly literate folks. And Sarah and I, you've talked about this, about agonizing over the right word and making sure that you're, you know, like double and triple and quadruple checking an email or some sort of a blog post before you hit publish. Because, you know, like you don't want to be, you know, like, you know, you want your grammar to be all mangled. So Sarah and I will both do that thing of reading an email over a hundred times before we send it, trying to make sure that every word is correct. So you won't look like a tool. Um but did you ever just come across some sentence, and for the life of you, you cannot figure out how to make it sound correct? Yeah, you, you're like, I don't even know how to write this. Uh, and that's one of these. Top five celebrities you probably didn't know released a music album. 
Well, if anybody out there, if you're like an English teacher or some such, uh, if you talk pretty, uh, you, let me know how that's supposed to be, because it's going to bug me otherwise. Anyway, so we'll do that later on. Uh, let's take a break. We'll return after this with Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. This, my friends, is the Rick Emerson radio program. We're back after this. Don't go anywhere. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. All right. Apparently, the Wikipedia page now says, Rick Emerson was born a woman, March 7, 1973. Yeah, someone's going to town on that. That's great. Well, you know what? Have, knock yourself out. It's great that people have so much time on their hands. I was going to say, yeah, everybody needs a hobby. It's 503-733-2970. We want to say hello to, um, let's see. Uh, we want to say hello to our new listener, Oliver, in Belgium. We are loved in Belgium. Uh, says, Rick, foreign listener, uh, thought I'd drive you an email to say I love the show, which I podcast every day here in Belgium. I was put on the podcast for the Portland area uh, by a guy, Andy. So lots of love. Best of luck in the future. So thanks to Andy here in Portland for turning us on to, or vice versa, whatever, this guy, Oliver, in Belgium. I so. like Belgium. Have you been to Belgium? I have. It has no street signs. It makes you go around and around the circle and try to get out, and you can't. So what do you mean it has no street signs? Forever. Yeah, uh, apparently all the street signs fell down like 200 years ago. They, ne- they never put them back up. Hey, are, are Belgian waffles from Belgium? Yes, they are, except when they're from Trader Joe's and out of a Trader Joe's box. He's Tim Riley, ladies and gentlemen. He's at the Ministry of Truth. It's time for the Rick Emerson Show's new news hour, only on AM 970, The Talker. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. Somebody drives a car to a house in southeast this morning. Should we be surprised at southeast 82nd and southeast Ogden? This woman got a rude awakening when the driver slammed his minivan into a parked car and then hit her home. Michelle Rayleigh uh, came outside. The driver of the minivan had taken off. Police are trying to track the person down and say they may know who the suspect is and that the crash is intentional. According to the uh, Police Bureau press release, the dissolution of a relationship between one member of each families of the driver and a resident of that home, and it is said not to be a random incident. Rayleigh, who rents the house, said it's the craziest thing that's ever happened to her. I bet her landlord's a little bit more serious about it, though. Her white Jaguar was hit by a Ford Taurus. A Jaguar on 82nd? Yeah. All right. Well, some people don't like to flaunt it. The front porch of the home was also damaged. <laughs> I have my light under a bushel <laughs> And she may also know who the driver was. So, has anybody? Should, does anybody think there should be some sort of scientific study into what the hell is wrong with 82nd? I mean, there's some weird. Uh, what is up with that street? I mean, the whole thing can't be built on an area in Bender, uh, the Imperial Ground, can it? I mean, there's got to be some. There's a fantastic Value Village out there. Uh, no, that there's a great. Uh, there's also next to a really scary bus stop. Uh, let's see. What else is on 82nd that I? Uh, what else? What else do I patronize on 82nd? 
There's Fred Meyer. Insert joke here. Um, there's a Fred Meyer. Isn't there a Goodwill up there? Or is no, that on 120? Value Village. Yeah, the, yeah, the Goodwill's out up on Powell, a little like 102nd. Right. Well, although no, there's the TikTok. Uh, there's the TikTok, which is a sort of bar restaurant up there. Um, great hamburgers, terrible nachos. Great, uh, great hamburgers though. There's that. The TikTok, by the way. Hung Far Low's now on the corner. Now, is that the one that used to be in Old Town? Yeah, yeah, and they moved to the second division. You know, there's like two of those. There's two or three different uh, ones. Hey, have you seen what? Have you seen this uh, that buffet place on 82nd? That I don't even know. What, I can't remember what it's called. But you would know it if you... Broken glass and bullet casings? <laughs> it's a buffet mm. of tears. It's a buffet of limbs. It's a, but you would know this buffet place if you saw it, because it it's in a huge, what looks like an old bingo hall. I mean, it's massive. It's this giant-ass building. Looks like an old bowling alley. And then the sign out front looks like one of the old generic beer signs. It's just like black on white in, like, stock letters. Like, they said, give, give me the cheapest sign possible. And it's like, you know, it, it, you know, it's like... It, King Buffet, and it's just huge, and that's all. But it's like a massive building. It's huge. You're right. It's like that like unicorn hotel thing. I think so. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's a staggering proportions. I mean, you would think it should be downtown, you know, in Vegas or something. It's massive. You know, what else is on the second is uh, um, the Eastport Cinemas. Hey, you know, I go there sometimes. That's a good movie. I've seen theater. many a movie at the Eastport Cinemas. Um, let's see. And what the Dollar Tree? Let's see. There's got to be something else in any second that I like. Maybe not. All right, here's Tim Riley. I once had a dentist there. Really? Oh, me too, actually. That, that's when you're lying back getting your teeth clean and water is dripping out of the light fixture. <laughs> Looking up and waiting for uh, waiting for Lawrence Olivier to come into the room. Is it safe? So and Time magazine from 1982. It seems like, though, there ought to be some sort of serious investigation into what the hell is wrong with that street. Because doesn't it seem like 82nd is some... I mean, it's just like concentric layers of evil coming out of that place. Mm-hmm. How can one street contain so much pain, Tim? One step closer to hell. That's what I'm saying. A 40-year-old beaver demand is accused of siphoning gasoline from local gas station, and the price is going down. you think he would have done this a few years ago. David Harvey was found with several 55-gallon drums he was using to store the gasoline. Now, that's being creative. How are we going to wait with this for so long? Well, this is an allegation, of course. His arraignment is set this afternoon on theft charges. It's probably, uh, probably a false accusation. Mm-hmm. Tim, he seems innocent. One way or another, a Halsey woman promises to keep a cartoon book off the shelves of the Central Lynn High School Library. Taffy Anderson says the book of bunny suicides is not appropriate, especially for children. Wait, hold on. Is a cartoon book being protested by somebody named Taffy? Taffy. Is Taffy a man or a woman? It's a woman. Is there a picture of Taffy? Do we know what Taffy looks like? I don't know. Is there a lot of her to love? Maybe it's a Taffy pull. So perhaps that's true. Uh, this is the bu- book of bunny suicides. Her 13-year-old son checked it out of the library and vows never to return it. It is a collection of cartoons showing a rabbit attempting to end his life in bizarre ways. <laughs> Tappy's son told her he checked it out because his friend said it was funny. It's not a comic book. It's not funny at all, says Tappy. Uh, so she contacted the principal, Julie Nodler. I'm looking who, it up right now. Who That's told her about too. the district's book challenge Nobbler? policy. Nodler? Nodler. Oh, Nodler. Nodler. So Taffy plans to fill out these complaint forms. Once her review is over, regardless of the outcome, she plans to burn it. She what? says if the library replaces it, she'll have someone else check it out, and she'll keep that one, too. Isn't that actually a crime? Isn't this... Wait, hold, no, her, 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 wait let me understand this. Can I see the story? Sure. Let me... Look at Taffy. Halsey. Where is Halsey? Anyone? Someplace that's not important. I think one... it meant Halsey in, like, in Portland, the road. That's no, what I just said. Well, no, it, I guess it's a, a city. Yeah. One way or another, a Halsey woman promises to keep a popular cartoon book off the shelves of the Central Lynn High School Library. Taffy Anderson, 
Who names her daughter Taffy? I mean, what is an area man, me, wants to know what is up with that. Says the book of bunny suicides, it's not appropriate, especially for children. She inspected the book. Her 13-year-old son checked the library and vowed never to return it. It's a comic book, but that's not funny. Not funny at all. Anderson plans to fill out the forms to challenge a book. Really, how small is your life? You're challenging a book. Uh, once the review is over, regardless of the outcome, she plans to burn it. Okay, I'm seriously, I'm calling the police department right now, and I'm going to demand. You're that right they because it is illegal, right? It's, well, first of all, it's theft. I mean, Taffy, if if you in fact go through with this, because the book doesn't belong to you, belongs to the library, and everybody else there wants to get their read on. So, if you keep the book and then if you burn it, that is in fact a crime, and I'm going to demand that the cops prosecute her. And she says if the library replaces it, she will have someone else check it out, and she'll keep that one too. That's a threat of future crime. That is a threat of a future crime, and if she burns this, it's a crime, and I'm to demand that the cops prosecute her. Seriously. You burn a book, Rick Emerson will find you. Let the rabbit commit suicide. I mean, let's, that's, I'm, this is not going to be one of those things that I just say and then don't do. I'm keeping this right here. Happy Anderson. Mm -hmm. From Halsey, a bustling suburb, no doubt. Uh, she's one of the town's deep thinkers, and she says she plans to burn a book. All right. Richie Bristol, can you do me a favor? You find out where, ta where, where Taffy, uh, where Halsey is and uh, where the police department might be? It says it's in Loon County. I would like to report a crime in progress. I would like to report a crime that will be committed. And it's premeditated. It is a premeditated crime that she has actually uh, spoken of to the Associated Press. So she has indicated her intent to commit a crime, and I would like to alert the police department that Taffy Anderson, Just what, what is Mensa Taffy, candidate. What is Taffy trying to pull? <laughs> Yes, well done, Tim Riley. Well, I waited long enough for a good line. Anyway. <laughs> I, just, I, I heard you try to do it earlier and it didn't really work, but I'm no. glad you came back around to it. Oh, I didn't hear I it never... earlier. That was all fresh to me. Oh, I never give up. Okay, that's genius. I demand, I demand that the cop that's ask her the that. No, Look here, Taffy. What are you trying to pull? You need to write an open letter, and that should be the headline of it. What is Taffy what trying, is to trying to pull? <laughs> and it's only Monday, the first hour. Uh, all right. Uh, so, Richie, if you can find me the uh, contact number for the Halsey Police Department, I'd like to report uh, the uh, future commission of a crime. All right. Burn a book in my state, will you? Fix your little red wagon. All right. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. Tim, Sarah. What's up? Hello. Hey. Uh, first off, you were talking about the Buffet King over off of 82nd and Foster. Mm-hmm. Uh, used to be the organ grinder. Oh, oh, like a like a musical organ. Yeah, it was a, a pizza hall. <laughs> okay, I was confused there for a second. <laughs> Sorry about that. That right. up a very bad video. All right, right. excellent. All right, Th thank you, sir. Thank you. All right, there you go. Uh, let's see. Okay, here we go. Yeah, there's somebody else. They used to have yes, somebody else talking about the the organ grinder thing that used to be there. All right. Uh, let's see. What else we do? Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Richie already found the the police uh, the the uh, number for the police department. Fantastic. Uh, hi, hello. Hey, I just I gotta say I'm I'm totally with you on on the incarceration of people that uh, that burn books or even you know throw them away because they can't stand to read any more of them. We should prosecute everybody that does that. She didn't like the reading, so uh, hey, no, she's already announced. She said that she's not giving the book back, which is theft, if I'm reading the story correctly. She plans to burn the book, which is uh, I would say destruction of. Well, I mean, that's got to be, I mean, look, if you steal something from somebody and then destroy it, that's got to be a secondary crime, right? Well, it's destruction of public property also. It's destruction of public property. There you go. And if she's doing it, by, and I'm just saying, I don't know that this is the case, but if she is, in fact, doing this in conjunction with someone else, 
that is conspiring to commit a misdemeanor, which is in fact a felony. Uh, so, uh, and she's already announced that she will steal the next one. So she does plan to be a multiple offender here, and she's on the record as saying that. So, hey, I say we throw the book at her. All right, thank you. Hey, one other thing, real quick. What might that be? It's going to be surprising. Jeff Berkeley punches nuns in the face. All right, thank you. I didn't see that coming, actually. That I really was either. surprising. Maybe he was going to hang up, but then he just kind of pulled that out. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Yeah, I just want to say those uh, those bunny suicide books mm-hmm. are hilarious. I'm going to buy them and give them to children. I'm going to go. You... I'm going to buy some and I'm going to hand them out to children. No, we can hand them out at Dornbecker's. <gasps> we should totally go to Halsey and give one to children. We should go to Halsey and we should give one to every child there. The, those books are fantastic. It's this uh, uh, a British guy, and they're really simply crudely drawn uh, bunnies about to commit suicide and all sort of uh, uh, crazy ways. Yeah, I'm looking at the cover, and it's a bunny, and you see ears sticking out of the toaster. Yeah, yeah, That's fantastic. That's wonderful. The guy also writes a book called, uh, I I think it's called 101 Lies to Tell Children. That's great. What is one of them? Do you know one of them? Uh, um, oh, they something like yes, they uh, they put magnets inside the bar stools, and that's why Daddy has to go there every day to drink. Because, that's funny, you know, yeah. stuff like that. It's it's great. So Excellent. you guys should check those out. All right, thank you, sir. All thank right, there you, you go, little uh, Edward Gorey kind of a thing going on there. All right, so we're trying to figure out now. Richie's saying, okay, this is the Portland Police Department, which is on Emerson Street. But I don't. Uh, but that. But what is Hall? Is Halsey a suburb? Is it a town? I, I believe it's a town somewhere. Let's see if somebody. Well, where's Lynn County? Knows. I don't know. That's where Eugene is. Okay. It's where all the deep thinkers live, sir. And it stretches all the way to the coast. Good morning. Hello, Dave Zinn. How are you? Hello, Rick. Hey, do you know where Halsey, Oregon is? I do not. Central Lynn High School, maybe. Anything? Um. Uh... Sounds like maybe near Bend or something. Oh, that would, why, that would not surprise me at all. Uh, all right, but you don't really know. Uh, unfortunately, I do not. All right, how was your weekend, Dave? It was good. I missed the show, though. What do you mean you missed the show? I missed the Rick Emerson show. Oh, you mean not on the weekend? You mean you mean your weekend is your weekend is pointless and filled with gloom because the show isn't around. Well, now it's back. All right. Well, thank you, Dave. Oh, whoa. Halsey is just situated 25 miles away from Eugene and Springfield. Uh, I found a picture of it. So it's just it has south 740 of us. people. 740 people? About two hours south on I-5. All right, excellent. Thank oh, you. Wait a minute. It has reached 821. Just now? Mm-hmm. All right, thank you, sir. Bye. All right, there you go. All right, so, so Richie, this would not be the Portland Police Department then, although I appreciate, although they might be able to give us the number. This would be the Halsey Police Department. Right. Uh, however many people that might be. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'll call the feds if I have to. Uh, I don't know what the... Let's see. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hello? Hello? Hi. Hi. Paul, you're looking for Halsey, Oregon? Yes. It's uh, 25 miles away from Albany a little bit. It's right off the highway off I-5. And it's about 25 miles from here, Tim, you said? Yes, here's no, a picture of the town. 105. Tim, now this guy says it's 105 miles away. Tim. It's possible. <laughs> Thanks it's so a much. paper mill. All right. Uh, well, Eugene is 100 miles yes, from here. So thank thank miles. you, sir. 
All right. That's not ironic, I guess, but it's like ironic that she lives in a paper mill town and she wants to burn books. Well, maybe she's just trying to ensure that the mill stays open because they, you know, trying to ensure job security there. There are great roads for biking as well as fishing and boating. Mm-hmm. All right, so Halsey's in your sweet home, and that's where... Um, that's where Timmy Ryan lives and Morgan Grace as well. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hello. Yes, hello. Is this me? Yes, it is. Yes, it is, sir. I mean, only you really know for sure, but yes, it is. Hello. Rick, this is Rod from the Grove. Hello, sir. And I don't have any type of life, so I was sitting around this weekend watching, I think it was uh, A&E or something, mm-hmm. and uh, they got this place called Archie McPhee's. Have you heard of that up in Seattle? Archie McPhee's. Sarah, is it a bar? No, I haven't heard of it. Look it up on the, on the Internet, and... Uh, You'll find every kind of bacon supply you'll ever want Sweet. there. Archie McPhee's, M-C-P-H-E-E-S? I think so. All right, Archie McPhee's, Seattle Bacon. And, I'm and on it. They've got, they've got bacon toothpicks. They've got bacon Band-Aids. They've got bacon dental floss. Ah, dental floss. That's the thing I'm lacking. Mm-hmm. All right, and I have bacon mints. I have the bacon Band-Aids. i got bacon toothpicks. But dental floss I don't have. Bacon and they got the bacon gummy bacon strips. Oh, all right, excellent. Thank you. Thank uh, you for the heads up, sir. All right, loving you. Great show. Hey, Sarah and Tim, loving you guys. Bye. Okay. Uh, thank you, sir. Hey, so right. Timber Joe just wrote me, and he said that Halsey is actually the location where they filmed Stand By Me. Really? Now, see, I heard that that was somewhere else. Well, I guess maybe I didn't. Maybe I'm confusing it with Goonies, like everybody does, always. Notable uh, days in the history of Halsey. Key Bank of Oregon closed its Halsey branch in March 1998. And then the newspaper ceased to publish in 1963 when the Giles family uh, had to cease publication due to illness and poor health in the family. Well, all right. Oh, by the way, we've got some clarification here about the... Uh, hi, who's this? Hi, Rick. This is Carol. Hello, Carol. You have a clarification. Long time of... no talk. Thank you. Carol. You... Hello. So, uh, the Super King Buffet. Yeah. 30 years ago, I know the guy way before me just said it was a pizza place. No, it was the pizza place to go to. Um, it was the organ grinder, and the man sat at a big Wurlitzer. You're a big Bob Ralston fan. He sat at this huge Wurlitzer organ, and he had this little monkey, and the screen dropped down, and they played silent films, and he played the organ to them while you sat and ate pizza, and then he would reach over, and he'd crack this little monkey on the head with a little bat, and the monkey would play his cymbals. And then they had a little uh, little mouse dressed up as a girl. Her name was Mitzi Mouse, and she would come out and dance and shake the kids' hands and stuff. It was way before Chuck E. Cheese's time. Wow, this is it like... Was, it so was these... a really cool place, and they had the a line out the door. <laughs> um, he would... Uh, so this is like some weird Dr. Doolittle meets Busby Berkeley in hell sort of a thing. It was, well, it was back, you know, back in the 70s, early yeah. 80s, you know, before Chuck E. Cheese was even thought and of. So somebody told me that Chuck E. Cheese just killed it off of it. Chuck E. Cheese did. opened it. I mean, it went out of business like a month later. Yeah, yeah. yeah. As soon as Chuck E. Cheese showed up, the place was gone because they have all those animals that play on the stage and stuff. And you don't but, have to hit them with bats to make them perform. But he had the, I mean, you know, you're a big Bob Ralston fan, yes. you know. And you would have loved it. It was It was really a nice place to go to. But now it's just trash. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you for the clarification. You betcha. Thank Bye-bye. Thank you, Carol. All right. There you go. All right. Need to bring back the monkey beatings. <laughs> Clearly, Tim. Uh, all right. Um, yeah. Well, okay. Uh, let's see. It's 503-733-2970. By the way, uh, let's see. Somebody says, uh, I've never heard of this bunny suicide book. Now my brother and I must both go get our hands on it. Um, let's see. Also, let's see what else do we have here. 
I wonder they could, where they could find such a book, Rick. Well, this email says, oh, they could probably get it at Powell's Books at Cedar Hills Crossing. Really? I should totally have, should see if, thank you, should see if Powell's Books at Cedar Hills Crossing, 3415 Southeast Cedar Hills Boulevard, where Hall and Cedar Hills Boulevard intersect. If they want to, um, if they want to support or sponsor the uh, Rick Emerson, the Stop the Book Burning campaign. <gasps> See if we can upsell them there. Stop the book burning. That is genius. That's what I'm saying. Rick Emerson will not allow books to be burned. Uh, oh, this is frustrating. Rick, here's a picture of the book burner. and But then there's like no pit. The attachment never came through. That's a little frustrating. Okay, so, uh, okay, Richie has now discovered the, uh, okay, Richie's on the, I love Richie. I'm on the phone. An officer's going to call me back uh, about library book law. And then he has the number for the Halsey. It's an 800 number. Well, that's good. For the Halsey Police Department. Uh, let's see. So, uh, Richie, Richie, what is, what's the deal? All right, just come into the studio for a minute if you would. All right. Are you going to play a song? Uh, yeah, I don't know where the hell it went. Now that's loud. Intrepid PA Richie Bristol joining us in the studio today. Hello, sir. Good right. morning. Hi. Good. Hey, by the way, you're a genius. Oh. Uh, there was this whole <laughs> kerfuffle this morning where there was no viso in the in the you know the, the fridge in the studio, so we we've, we've drunk it all. Um, and so I went into the uh, kitchen and the vending machine. By the way, Eric, if you're listening, the vending machine that dispenses beverages, not taking bills of any kind, coins only. I don't have any coins uh, because they just you know they're heavy and they weigh you down. So um, so it's not taking any bills. And so Richie's like, well, I'm going to the plaid. And I go, well, hey, that's great. If you're going to the plaid, can you give me some Bezo? It's not taking any bills. So Richie did the smartest thing. <laughs> He's way smarter than either Sarah or I. Richie just went to the other vending machine that sells, like, snacks. And you just put in the bills and hit the coin return, and it gave you coins back. Yeah, so you, it's, a, it's a de facto change machine. It's like those people who figure out how to, like, if you can't get a door unlocked, to take out the hinges instead of, you know, trying to lock the door. Exactly. Like, he thinks outside of the box. I've tried that before, and it doesn't work. So, so thanks for getting us to hook up with that. All right. All right. So what is up with the Halsey Police Department? Uh, well, well, they don't have a library, I guess, because they have a book mobile that comes around every Friday. So, well, it's a mobile li- library, so they don't they don't have a, a, a brick-and-mortar one. I know, because then I'm going to start saying it seriously. I know, because I, I can't say Internet anymore. I always say Internet. The Internet. So they don't, so the Halsey Library is sort of, it's on wheels, though. It's not a physical location. Yeah, but well, I call them Halsey. But they have an Oregon, uh, uh, a city-owned supply of books. Uh-huh. All right. Wait, so are they, so this book is at the high school? Well, now he's a high schooler. Well, wait, hold on. Let me look. No, no, I think it's like library. 13. The shelves of the Central Lynn High School Library. Okay. So, so it belongs to the school, school administrator. It belongs to the school. It's not a public library, but still, it's still city property, though. That's the thing. Is First of all, it doesn't belong to her. Whether it belongs to the high school or a public library, it's not hers. It doesn't belong to her. And it is, it is public property. It's property that tax dollars have paid for. So... Uh, she still get it. Plus, you just can't be burning books. I mean, come on. Let's all try to live in at least you know the mid twentieth century. Outside of Germany. Uh, so okay. So what is the deal? What? Uh, I told her a few questions that we. Well, who did you talk to? Uh, the city of Halsey. At first, I called. You talked Hal- to the whole city. I called. Well, there's hello, a, city of Halsey. Okay, three so people in the. With whom did you speak? Uh, the lady. What what oh, what is her position? Uh, city clerk. Okay, and so what did you, did you say? Hey, we're concerned about this woman burning books. You know, first she was confused because she's like, well, we're in Oregon, and so all Oregon laws the right are the same. And I said, well, it's a different library. And I was wondering because I mean, if you sign on the dotted line, they have different laws. Like, right. if you keep the book too long, it's your property. After that point, you paid for it. But 
you know, different libraries are different. So. Okay. And she's like, okay. And then I said, well, we want to know if, if you actually, you know, got checked out a book and you kept it, how long would it be before it's your property? Especially if you check it out and not intending to return it. That's also fraud, by the way. And yeah. she's, like, explicitly stating she that she's said, not going to return it. She's going to destroy right. it. Exactly. So that is using public materials for something other than their intended use. And so what did you say? And then she said, okay, she's she's going to call and find somebody that's qualified to actually answer that. And she's gonna call, they're going to call And so she's going to call the cops or something? Yeah. And the cops will call well, you? They're all in the same building, I'm pretty sure. How, how about the SWAT team? <laughs> It's one one uh, single room schoolhouse where they're all working. Okay, hey Daryl, can you check on that? So the uh, so then they're going to be so the city of Halsey will be calling you back. Yeah, I thought it was on Halsey. That's why I gave you no, no, yeah, no. I thought that too, but apparently it is the city of Halsey. So they're going to call you back when they when you know. Yeah, or when they know. All right, yeah. great. Thank you, Richie. Okay, bye. All right, there you go, Richie Bristol, ladies and gentlemen. This is a blackout of the city of Halsey. It really is, Tim. This is not the thing for which your town should be known. No, I just uh, I think uh, you know the other citizens of Halsey. I'm just saying you might want to uh, might want to think about how to deal with that. Here's Tim Riley. Well, I'm talking about a burning of a different type of the religious nutcase watch. Here's your religious nutcase watch for Monday on the Rick Emerson radio program. Jacksonville, Florida. To Goth Country? God's Country. Oh, I'm sorry. God's Country. To where, Tim? God damn it. It's right next to the Florida Sounder. Mm-hmm. All right. Fine. That's fine. close enough. Whatever. Members of a Jacksonville church have gathered to burn at least 100 reels of X-rated movies from the 70s and 80s. What? Wait. Stop. Back up. Members of a Jacksonville <laughs> I'm not church. retarded. <laughs> gathered to burn at least 100 reels of X-rated movies from the 70s and 80s. Oh, come on. Really? Yes. They've, Have they already burned them? We're not sure yet. What is it with people burning things? Why Jesus, not? collect stamps. These were discovered recently when the church bought up an old drive-in movie theater. Oh, come on! Yeah. The 300-member congregation of Christ Church Anglican held a special service Sunday afternoon. Oh, it's already been done. Oh, come on! <laughs> it included the ceremonial burnings and a holy hose down. I'll give you a holy, a holy hose down. Yeah. I would think the church would know not to be giving any more holy hose down. And the Tim. burning yeah. porn was blessed by a priest. You see, Christ Church purchased this 13-acre drive-in for $1.4 million after the 60-year-old drive-in closed in May. People getting their porn on the Internet these days. They don't need to be sitting in their cars. The church uh, closed in on the deal a few weeks ago and discovered the porn stash while cleaning up. The Reverend Mark Eldridge said the church plans to show... Family films after some repairs. Well, this is, these are family films. It's just making family. And this is like Survivor. Remember when when the, the dude in Survivor was like uh, the land was seized and the churches bought it and they yeah. had all this whole huge mountains of porn. Yeah. And then they destroy it. Oh my gosh. All right. I, okay, I can't get angry about both these things at once. Uh, but I'm just going to say first of all, but it's sweaty, hairy '70s porn. But I mean, first of all, I, I think I. Oh God, God damn, I hate people. Just you know, there are individuals that I like. Mm-hmm. I was talking about my, my uh, I was talking to my shrink the other day. My shrink was out of town for like six weeks. Uh, oh my god! It, I mean, was there a substitute? Well, you know, he was like, he was like, oh, I'm going to be touring Europe for whatever. So you know, uh, and and just really based on the checks that I have to write to that guy, I would imagine it, you know, six weeks he could probably tour for sixty weeks. So I'm not sure what the American dollar is. Just reading today, it costs like 
Seven hundred dollars a night to see in Scotland. Now. Really? Yeah. Uh, glad it I was worth nothing. Glad I went before the crash. Yeah. Jesus, when I went to Europe, it was twice, and you know you had to double everything in your head. I can't even imagine what it would be now. Um. Anyway, so my shrink was gone, and then he came back, and we were playing a little bit of catch up. Anyway, but uh, but he uh, he accused me of having a dim view of people, and. <laughs> <laughs> Goes, <laughs> seems like you have kind of a dim view of people. <laughs> you need to turn up your dimmer just a bit. Turn your frown upside down. No, you're good at passing it on to others too. I remember when I first, you know, came on the show as a wide-eyed optimist, thinking you know, like my vote could change things. Oh, oh, you know, no, my, like, no. my mind too was destroyed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. no, 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 no. Um, but um. But I told him, I said, you know, there are individuals I like, you know, individual people that I like or, you know, care for. But really, just in terms of humanity, no, it's not my thing. But I, uh, I think you're being realistic, though. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, what is the, uh, it's like the guy says in um, Superbad. He goes, have you seen it? It's not for me. Well, that's, that's you know, humanity. Not for, it's, hard to, it's hard to argue with the theory that humanity really just needs a good power washing. You know what I mean? That the earth just needs a good, a good scrubbing. Um, but uh, anyway, so, God, I hate people. So... You take over a drive-in, and I think I speak on behalf of just everybody who's a pop culture enthusiast, a film enthusiast, whether they're porn films or not. If you buy a drive-in, first of all, drive-ins are a, man, are a vanishing Americana. Yes, they are. I mean, they just, there's, I think there's only one left around here. There's that one in uh, Newburgh, I think. Yep, 99. There's one drive-in left. And Sarah, did you ever go to drive-in? Is that before your time? Oh, no, no, no. There's still one. I mean, sometimes when I go back to Bremerton during the summer, we'll still go to the drive-in. I mean, and drive-ins, you know, a lot of times you have first-run movies, but, you know, people remember go to drive-ins and they would show these classic films or monster double features. Even I remember a little bit of that. Terrible movies that were made kind of fun by the fact that it's a drive-in. Chesty Morgan. Ex- exactly. Um, uh, I saw Killer Clowns from Outer Space in a drive-in. That was a many splendored night. You buy a drive-in, you find 300, dry, you know, movies in cans, like the old film can. You find 300 films from 30 or 40 years ago. I mean, just, just be a mensch, huh? Just be a man. Just give those movies to somebody. Uh, so you know, and the, and the idea that they just destroyed 300 films they found in the vault at a drive-in just gives me like the most white-hot combination of just anger and pain all at once. And then that they were porn films, and people then, but you know what? 70s porn, especially. I mean, 80s porn, I think is. As depicted in Boogie Nights, where a guy kind of really like assembly line and cheesy and whatever. But you know, my shadow. but you know, exactly, uh, big hair and like in a jacuzzi, like touching the tips of their tongues together. Uh, but uh, but you know, but seventies porn is sort of fascinating. Seventies porn is a real time capsule in a lot of ways, and a lot of that stuff, you know, it just doesn't exist anymore. I was uh, I read this great article uh, in some elitist Washington newspaper. It, was, it might have been the New Yorker or something. It was an article about John Holmes. And they found how John Holmes, of course, was the first male porn star. I mean, John Holmes probably still to now, even now, even with Ron Jeremy, John Holmes probably the most famous male porn star who's ever lived. Probably the most famous porn star, period, ever, uh, John Holmes. And they talked about how in his early days, before the Internet, I mean, I could just talk about this all day because I find, I find this sort of thing fascinating. But in John Holmes' early career, I think he had, he had been in a bathroom doing his business, uh, just uh, going number one. And a guy at the next stall, this is the story you always hear, guy at the next stall looked over and said, hey now, look at that. Would you, have you ever made erotic films? And Holmes uh, made these sort of things that were called loops. And I don't think I've ever even really seen one, but I guess the deal is you would go into some smut shop back when those things were just sort of like speakeasies. And it wouldn't even really be a porn film running. It would just be like, again, a loop of like 10 or 15 minutes. It would just play over and over and over again continuously. You go there and do whatever, then you leave. 
Um, and John Holmes made all these loops as a side career, but during the day he was like a carpenter. And they noted that back then you could be a porn star, like you could have a whole separate life as a porn star, and nobody would ever know. Because there's no internet, you know, there's no message boards anywhere, there's no whatever. I mean, the only way your, your career as a porn star would ever be discovered is if some guy who knew you happened to go into, like, some porn shack somewhere and happened to see a film in which you were... The odds of that were just infinitesimal. So John Holmes was a porn star for, like, five years and, like, me, me, but had this whole day-to-day -day life and nobody ever knew about it on all these old, old Super 8 loops, these 8-millimeter loops. But they were... You know, and then, of course, he became very famous. And, again, he became the first real famous porn star in America. But there is this project underway. It's some, some like, actual national film group. And their whole deal is to try to track down all of the existing John Holmes films and clips because he is such a huge part of American popular culture, the first porn star. And they were saying that there's just thousands of these little 8mm films he did that are just lost forever, just gone, because they just deteriorated. And back then, nobody was thinking about archiving any of that stuff. Who, you know, just replace it with a new batch. Nobody, nobody ever cared. So... You know, all of those porn films from the 70s are really valuable in a sense because they're part of the historical document. And again, it's, you know, it's part of the popular culture when porn began to enter the mainstream. And nobody ever thought to save them. Just like comic books, you know, way back in the 50s, you know, or baseball cards. That's why they're valuable because the kids would get them and then they get tired of them and throw them away. Nobody ever thought to save any of those. So it is a fascinating part of American film history. And so the idea that these jackasses would just get 300 of these and then just burn them just offends me on just like every conceivable level. Not as much as this woman who's going to be burning a book, but we'll get to her. Good God Almighty. All right. The whole bunch of people who just uh, give me agita is what they do. Uh, any more to that story, Tim? No, that's enough. All right. Let's come back after this. Uh, more of your phone calls around the corner. Tim Riley coming up. Taser watch. Bush watch. Double snuff watch. Uh, later on, it's the worst song you've ever heard. And more. Stay there. This is the Rick Emerson Radio Program on AM 970. Don't go anywhere. the Rick Emerson radio program. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. All right. So I think at this point we're waiting for the uh, city of Halsey to uh, crank up the phone and call us back. Because we're waiting on the... It's Richie, Richie was apparently... Uh, uh, he came to the conclusion that all of the town's essential services were in one room in one building. So, all right. The next step is theirs. All right. We'll, uh, we'll update throughout the day. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. Tim, Sarah. Hello, hey, what's up? Hello. Hey, uh, the drive-in theater in Jacksonville. Yeah. I used to sneak in there as a kid. Now, was it to watch regular films or the blue kind? Uh, the regular films and the blue kind. They were trying to survive, so they went to the x-rated thing and they were called the playtime drive-in theater at fantastic one uh, the whole note see they never had that in my hometown we had in my where i grew up there there was one porn store and this is before the sort of late 80s when porn became acceptable and mainstream so there was one porn store in my hometown that was real i, I never went in there and i think i drove by it once that was like the, it was just all dark and seedy and scary looking yeah. and there was they and so they, 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 they of course never showed any porn at the drive-in but that's just a fascinating concept of porn of the drive-ins. Does that mean if you're, like, driving on the highway or something and you go by, you can just see it all right there from your car? 
Yes, you could. That's and great. that was, they used to get all kind of protests. I mean, it's for years it was going on. And the Jacksonville Journal used to take their advertising and take a lot of heat for that. And they'd put the stripe over certain parts of the. Oh, the big the black bar? Poster. Yeah. yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. And, That's, uh, but, but growing up, like I said, they, they, they tried to, to change, you know, just to, to survive. I mean, but in Florida, it's so warm that there's a lot of drive-ins. But the guy would caught us a couple of times and just said, okay, well, just be quiet and stay right there. <laughs> Excellent. See, that is yeah. right there. That's the stuff that adolescent memories are made of. Hey, Rick, do you you remember I, I, I was in a band called the Night Watchers at one point, and we sent you a snuff watch. Do you still have that, or did you lose that during the unpleasantness? Uh, I'm not entirely sure. It's possible. Uh, we There are many thousands, not unlike the porn films in Jacksonville, there are many thousands of files that have just been lost here. Um, so it's yeah. possible that it's around the summer. The Dry County Crooks also covered the snuff watch for us at one point, and yeah. I uh, I don't know where it is up, Andy. If you still got it, you can always resend it, but I'm not even, I'm not sure where that would be, sir. Oh, I'll send you something else. Uh, I'm in a band called the Undercover Band, and I'm also still in uh, the Night Watchers became Lives in Limbo now. So, But we're still out there on MySpace. Well, I can, well uh, yeah, well, uh, send me a link or, or whatever. You bet, man. All right. Thank you, you sir. Take care. Bye-bye. Right, thank you. There you go. All right. Here's Tim Riley. Attention, political fans of Ralph Nader. Both of you. <laughs> He's going to be in Portland tonight holding a news conference at 7.15 at the Baghdad. For what reason, we don't know. And then he's having a rally at 7.30, and then a fundraiser at 9. He's trying to raise enough funds to get in, to get into to see that night's movie. Or, or, I'm to trying a, to raise money for a large popcorn and a soda. To get a flight back. Please help. Um, yeah. All right. I, I remember uh, Ralph Nader came to, in 2000, I saw him at Memorial Coliseum, which is, I don't know, a few thousand people, uh, who all, I think, paid 15 bucks a head. Mm-hmm. Uh, smart guy, really one of the smartest guys I've ever seen in my life. I mean, you hear him talk. I can't, I can't vouch for the last few years, but I mean, especially when his sort of heyday, you know, and he was really all kind of. He seems a little nutty now, but when he when he was all there, Ralph Nader's one of the smartest people I have ever seen interviewed, ever, ever, ever. Just blindingly smart. And I think at a certain time, a guy that I would have handed the economic uh, ac- aspect of our government over to without thinking, I would have, I would have given the economy in, in a blink to run. But he does seem to have gotten a little nutty over the last few years. I mean, when, look, when you've gone from Memorial Coliseum to the Baghdad, you know, in just a couple of years, that's, that's God's way of saying move on. Yeah, do something It's else. a smaller venue. Yeah, it's a more selective, uh, he has a more selective appeal to him. Well, moviegoers elected a W, but it was Mark Wahlberg over the weekend yeah. and not George W. Bush. His movie, Max Payne, debuted at number one with $18 million to outdo Oliver Stone's film. Actually, a couple others did, too. In uh, second place, W was beaten by Beverly Hills Chihuahua. That's just sad. And then it was also bitten, uh, beaten by The Secret Life of Bees. So the Oliver Stone movie comes in fourth place. And it made uh, $18.7 million. And it's got, uh, well, whatever. I was going to talk about the W movie, but I, I just, I don't care. I don't care, I don't care, I don't care. Um, except to say this, also, that The Secret Life of Bees, apparently, nothing to do with bees. Just in case you, in case you're wondering. I'm sorry. W made 10 million. Max Payne 18. Yeah, Max Payne based on the video game series of the same name. Beverly Hills. Did really second Beverly Hills Chihuahua. Yeah. I mean, well, I know kids have got to go see something, but you know, the, uh, the Secret Life of Beans. I mean, bees. No. And W4. Uh, Lara tried. This is this is the extent to which I'm ignorant of certain sections of the uh, you know the film release world. Lara yesterday she was like, well, we should go see a movie, and I said, well, you know, there's really nothing playing at the brew pub theaters, you know, and I you know I want to see W and 
you know, the Max Payne's going to be crowded, and it doesn't seem like it's going to be that big. So, you know, because there's some movies that I'll see because I want to, and there's some movies that I'll see because I figure everybody's going to be talking about them. The only thing, I don't really hear anybody, I mean, Max Payne obviously opened at number one, but I don't really hear anybody talking about it. It doesn't seem like there's a little buzz about that film. It's just sort of number one because there's nothing else. Um, Beverly Hills Chihuahua, I just can't even explain. I mean, look, it's not like the f- movies I saw when I was a kid were, were masterpiece theater. Let's be honest about that. But really, Beverly Hills Chihuahua. No, I got asked to see that yesterday. With by who? But, Lisa. It was Lisa. No, no, it was a male friend. But I think he wanted to see it. Do I know movie. him? I don't think so. Hmm. He wanted to see Beverly Hills Chihuahua? Yeah, was he high? Was he planning on getting high? I don't think so. He was planning on drinking wine, though. He's like, I'm bringing in some wine. I'm like, I'm not paying nine fifty. How old is he? I don't know, like 30-something. All his marbles? Maybe not. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, um, anyway, well. I think he saw it as kooky. I just saw it as a waste of time. Oh, God, no. Maybe it looks he like the lost world... everything in his 401k. Honestly, <laughs> go see Beverly Hills I mean, it looks like it's just having knives driven into your eyes. I can't. Uh, and again, I have nothing. There's no problem with kids' films or Chihuahuas. I uh, I don't like Chihuahuas, but I mean, who does? Uh, I mean, I have no problem with films for the younger set. They too need entertainment. But can we please, 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 for the love of sweet Jesus, can we have a moratorium on films wherein animals who are always voiced by somebody like Tone Loke, where the animals bust out into either a rap song or like Bads of the Bone. Or a dance sequence. Or a dance sequence where they're singing something, which is a song you're sick of and that we're all sick of, but somehow they think it becomes fresh if it's sung by, is like like a penguin or something. So it'll say, so they'll say like the Macarena, which nobody ever wants to hear again, ever. I just can't believe people still use Bads to the Bone. Well, they, would, they do. They do. I was watching for a preview. Yeah. yeah. I was watching a preview for the new Owen Wilson movie, um, Me and Marley. And I was watching it, and I'm like, oh, this is kind of promising. And all of a sudden, I hear that. And I turned it off. We'll not be seeing that. No, I mean, you can. It's one of those. It is one of those things that they get cheaply because it's now been so whored out that he can't. George Thorogood can't demand top dollars for that song anymore, I would think, because it's just been so diluted. And there was a time, there was this moment where Thorogood said he wasn't going to license it anymore. And it was after Cameron used it for Terminator 2, I think. And Thorogood said, "Well, that's the best it can ever be used. Like that's that's the best use of that song that can ever happen. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna license it anymore. And that lasted like six months. And it's been like 50 movies since then. Beverly Hills Chihuahua, Jesus. Tim, your favorite childhood film? I and mean, when you were sort of like, uh, you know, 10, 11, something like that. What was the your favorite, uh, your favorite film? I'm trying to let's see. And don't say like on the waterfront. I mean, like something made for children. On the waterfront. Uh. A children's movie. Like children, children, or like young, like 10, 12? Well, first of all, is this going to be another thing you say you've never done? I never watched children's film. I don't own socks. My my mother took me to see 2001 A Space Odyssey, which I enjoyed. See, that's what time. I mean. That doesn't okay, count. As, that does not count as a children's film. Uh, did I have film. to make up a child's life? You never saw like a Disney film or? I'm sure I did. Um, Where do you come, come up with from? a Disney film? I can't think of one off hand. You sure never I've went to it. see like uh, uh, Mary Poppins or? Yes, uh, I saw Mary Poppins. But you don't oh, have you a have favorite. It. You have no. You had no favorite ch- ch- like children's film. There was up. a good way to kill a couple hours, but there were other things I wanted to see better. Two thousand one: Space Odyssey. Sarah, children's film. Like when you were like you know pr- when you, before before teenage years. Well, I loved all the Disney films. Like I always watched Beauty. And, I, I still love Beauty and the Beast, word for word, the entire thing. Excellent. I like Beauty and the Beast also. Yeah, and um, you, were, you were no longer a child when you saw well, that. No, that doesn't well, count. Well, I was on the, the promotional staff for that. Does that count? No. Okay. <laughs> and uh, the Little Mermaid, but I also had to watch the Little Mermaid, the Spanish version. Oh, because you lived in Spain. The, yeah, yeah, where, where yeah. she dies at the end. Oh yeah, the Hans Christian oh, Andersen yeah, version. Yeah, turns into sea foam, and yeah. it was just the end. So I really, I really appreciated the good Disney version. Yeah. All right. That darn cat. 
Not the Christina Ricci remake, but the original. Yeah. Yeah, okay. All right, excellent. I think I saw that at the movie. You know what I was a big fan of? I was a big fan of the Rescuers. Remember the Rescuers? Mm-hmm. It's like two mice who were off to rescue something or other, and they had the... They were on like a little paddle boat made out of a leaf, and their uh, and then their propeller was a dragonfly named Evan Rude. Oh, that was great. I, you know what else I loved when I was younger? Then maybe all, all dogs go to heaven. Yeah. Do you remember that movie? Yes, I do. Oh, that's terrible. Um, also, an American Tale, featuring Five of the Mouse. There are no cats in America, and the streets are paved with cheese. How about Aladdin? That was a good Disney film. <sighs> See, I think so, but that's only because I saw it once. And I think if I saw Aladdin now, I would realize it's crap. Uh-huh. So I almost I don't want to see Aladdin again because I liked it when it came out. I was maybe 20 uh-huh. when it came out. No, 18. I must be 91, 90. So yeah, I was like 17, yeah, 18 yeah. when it came out. And we and my friends all went to see it because it, it we were at that age. And that is a thing. I think there's an age between about 16 and about 20, like late 20s. There is where you just go to see... Movies on Friday and Saturday night, whether you want to or not, whether they're good or not, whether you really care about the movie or not, and even if, in fact, you're expecting it to be bad, you just go because it's just like that's what you do. Mm-hmm. And it is like one of the social options that, that like in your, is still on your mental menu. And that, I think, is an outgrowth of being a teenager. When you go to see movies as a teenager, because it doesn't cost that much, and it's basically, I don't mean to sound perverse, but I'm, when I say it's cheaper than a hotel, I mean, like, you can go hang out with your friends, make out or whatever if you want to be away from your parents and it's basically like five bucks an hour and so it's a place where for five dollars an hour you can be away from your parents and just with your peer group so that's i think why teenagers get into the habit of going to see movies all the time because oh, it's an the first e- superman movie i remember that okay see there you go all right and it's, came an, up with one. it's an easy refuge from your family and so that holds over i think into your late 20s where you just see movies every weekend even if they're not any good and even if they're movies that you just know are going to be terrible and then i think maybe you become I don't know, you get other things, and you have kids or whatever, and you just you become more selective about what you see. But, uh, uh, I, I mean, I, I remember even into my, yeah, even in my mid-20s, I was used to do every Friday and every Saturday. I would go, and I'd just see whatever whatever was opening, you know? And usually it was terrible. But occasionally you'd see something that was good. I remember going to see Reign of Fire with Matthew McConaughey. Boy, what an awful great movie that film is. Reign of Fire with Matthew McConaughey is a terrible film, but, boy, it's fun. And it just it's, a, it's one of the best-looking bad films I've ever seen. Great color palette. Terrible film. It was the 90s before people actually got into the habit of going to the movies every weekend. Right, right. Because right. there was always something else. Right. And they, because they got into that real, they, they ratcheted up to, they perfected the marketing to where every weekend there was some tentpole yeah. picture, some event picture. Like they tried to do that with W, and I don't think it really worked, and they kind of tried to do it with Max Payne. But I think that has limited appeal because a, you're going to go see Max Payne if A, you're a big fan of the video game, B, you're really into Mark Wahlberg. And I know a lot of people who dig him, but I don't really know anybody. I'm his number one fan. He is my favorite movie actor of all time. I don't know anybody for whom Matt, uh, Mark Wahlberg is like, a, like, I must see that film. Or, like, you just want to go see a movie and there's really nothing else and you don't want to see. But, but back to Beverly Hills, well, number two. It's astounding to me. So, all right. Uh, and uh, what was number three? Oh, and then Secret Life of Bees. Yeah. So this is how easily manipulated I am. So it's Lara, a flick, I think. see, but I didn't know that. Lara's like, "Well, we should go see the Secret Life of Bees," and I thought it was like some nature film. And I'm like, "Sure, count me in." And she goes, "No, sweetie, it's not about bees. It's a, it's you know, she's like, it's a touching bonding story that Oprah talks about a lot." I guarantee you'll dislike it. Yeah, and no, that's exactly it. And I said, "Oh God," that, and that's here's a reason why I love my wife. This is why this is why Lara and I such a great couple. It's why I love her to death. Uh, because at that moment. 
that's what makes her different from, I think, probably many women in that circumstance, where because she told me, she's like, let's go see The Secret Life of Bees. And so me thinking it was a thing actually about nature or whatever, I said, sure, let's go. And you know what? I think a lot of women at that point would have gone, he's a fool. He doesn't know this is an Oprah film. I'm going to completely make him go. And, like, they would immediately get the guy in the car, and they'd get the guy to the theater, and the guy would be at the theater going, wait a minute, there are no bees in this film. Where am I? Um... But Laura, to her credit, said, no, 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 honey, it's a, it's not about B. It's an Oprah film. You don't want to see it. I'm just kidding. With, you know, mm-hmm. just you don't want to go there. And I'm like, oh, thanks. And I meant it. I said, thank you so much. That is really nice of you to do. Thank you. Thank you for warning me. All right. Here's Tim Riley on KCMD Portland. Oh, well, way behind it. It's only Monday. Yes. <laughs> well, let's pick. <laughs> you say it almost like it's, a, like it's an achievement. I know. It really is. Well done, us. So here's something you don't hear very often. John McCain is given a tongue lashing on Fox News Sunday. Of all places. Now, that is usually a, a safe place for John McCain to be. You know why? I'll tell you why. Uh, well, do you have a theory as to why they're doing this? I do. I do. Sure, we'll play it first. Okay. It, it's a little bit longer than usual, but it's worth it. Here we go. Is my pot up? Here we go. tactic that you've been using in these final days is robocalls, automated, te- automated telephone yep. calls into people's homes. And let's listen to one of them. Here it is. You need to know that Barack Obama has worked closely with domestic terrorist Bill Ayers, whose organization bombed the U.S. Capitol, the Pentagon, a judge's home, and killed Americans. Senator, back in 2000... Yeah, that, 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 that is absolutely true. Can I ask the question? No, no, but, but uh, before you do, that is absolutely true. And I don't care about Mr. Ayers an old, and his wife, Apparently who's does. on the top ten most wanted list. I care about everybody knowing the relationship between the two of them. That's legitimate. Uh, Senator Obama and Bill Ayers served on a board of the Woods Foundation, and they gave $230,000 to Acorn. What's that all about? Nobody knows what he He said that he was just a guy in the neighborhood. He wasn't just a guy in the neighborhood. We we need to know (laughs) the full extent of that This is the bomber in your neighborhood. That is an accurate... Robocall. But Senator Beck, Robocall. Robocall. You are in violation of Directive 5. Hate calls. And you said, And you said the following. I promise you I have never and will never have anything to do with that kind of political tactic. Now, you've hired the same guy who did the robocalls against you to, reportedly, to do the robocalls against Obama and the Republican Senator Susan Collins, the co-chair of your campaign in Maine, has asked you to stop the robocalls. Will you do that? Of course not. These are... (laughs) That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. I got so much to say, but I don't even know where to begin. First of all, robocalls is the best term ever. Because that's a whole lot of like, you know, ring, 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 pick up the phone, you know, hello... You you are in violation of the second. You have ten seconds to drop your weapon and comply. Ten, nine, and then it, you know, and then it, it book him. He's a cop killer. Who was that? Robocall. Robocall. Something really funny there. Wait, hold on. You could also do robocall. Well, see, you could just go through all the famous robots. Like you could, uh, you could just pick up the phone and it would be a lot of like, bang my shiny metal ass. Uh, let's see. I don't think he's got to do that one. What else? What what other robot could call you? Tim. Famous robot. What other robot could call you? Uh, the one on Lost in Space. Is that Robbie the robot? Yes, I believe Is so. Is that the one that says Danger Will Robinson? Yes. Um, hello, Smith Residence. Danger Will Robinson! It's a robocall. I could do this all day. I could do Calculon. Don't you see that I am the father? 
Uh, all right, Robocall. And that could be our uh, HD channel. Yeah. <laughs> you could do Rosie the Maid from the Jetsons. Oh, yeah. Hey, there you go. Um, so um, anyway, so robocalling, blah, 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 John McCain. Oh, uh, so I'll get back to why Fox News is giving him a beat down there uh, in a second. It, that robocall, though, see, here's the thing. It, it's interesting that this is the year where the Democrats seem to know what they're doing. It's like I've fallen into some bizarre world where the Democrats are competent and the Republicans are screwing up. The meaner we get, we have a chance to win. No, that's the thing, man. I mean, like Democrats just – Democrats somehow – it's like they stole, it's like when a team steals another team's mascot, it's like the Democrats stole the Republicans' brain this year. I wonder if they're just paying Karl Rove off the books over the DNC and he's running the campaign. It's, I'm not used to a world in which Democrats are doing this well, in which they you know, have any sort of degree of competence. Well, they finally caught on to the fact that they should not be talking about issues because people aren't smart enough to remember them. No, people don't care. And, uh, and, it's in, and I'm equally shocked that the Republicans are doing a bad job. I mean, Republicans, let, look, let's have no dispute about this. I, they have the gold standard for being mean. And they're, yeah, right? I mean, Republicans are evil. We all know this. I right. mean, so are Democrats. But right. re Republicans are just sort of more, uh, Republicans are more overtly evil. You know what Republicans are? Republicans are, you know, they're like, uh, hmm. Republicans, I'm trying to think of a villain. You know, the, the Republicans are sort of blah, blah, blah villain. But, you know, the Democrats are? The Democrats are the guy who's on your side the whole time, and at the end of the movie you find out he's a double agent. You know what I mean? Uh, it seems like, you know, no, they, uh, they they made me an offer I couldn't refuse, or whatever. The Democrats are the double agent that betray you in the end when you've had the whole movie thinking they're the good guys. Republicans are just evil from jump. I mean, there's just no getting around it. Uh, but it, but it, it's kind of breaking my brain that the Republicans are, are not doing a good job this year because they're usually just so ruthlessly efficient at these things. It's It's kind of... It, I don't know that I can live in a world in which Democrats are competent and Republicans are losing. The I, Republicans are making Democratic mistakes. It's they, so, they have more stupid people this time than Democrats do. That's weird, man. It's freaking me out. I, uh, well, I think the Democrats ran out of stupid people with Kerry. I don't know, man. So they haven't been able to recruit any new ones, and the Republicans are out there recruiting more. It's like left is right and up is down, man. I don't even know what's true anymore. Um... That GOP robocall, whoever's making that, and it sounds like it is just McCain. Do you remember back in the McCain in the 2000 thing in South Carolina? There's all these horrible, slanderous, quasi-slanderous robocalls about John McCain. And they asked the Bush campaign, they said, hey, are you behind these robocalls? It was like, uh, no. And they, could, they never really found out who it was. The interesting thing is this year, there's all these horrible robocalls about Obama. And they go, Senator McCain, who, are you doing it? He goes, yes, damn straight I'm doing it. It's I'm me, John McCain. Stop it. No. But the interesting thing about those robocalls, and I'm speaking strictly in tactical terms, understand. So spare me the uh, Rick, you're way too conservative, slash Rick, you're way too liberal, slash I am not listening to you anymore because you sound like Air America, slash. Except for slash well, but, but it's like, but it's never, like, that email never comes by itself. The, if I want to hear Republican bashing, I'll listen to Air America. That's never an isolated email. It always comes back to back with one that goes, if I wanted to hear Democrat bashing, I'd listen to Lars. So, you know what? That's your own problem out there. So you just figure that out inside your own head. Um, so uh, what was I saying? If you want us to hew to one side of the aisle, you're, you're in the wrong place. Uh, we give the lumps as they're deserved. But here's the thing about, about the GOP is that that robocall is interesting because, and again, speaking strictly tactically in terms of winning the election, that's what McCain should have said at the debate if he really wanted to gain traction. with the, with the Because just to say, like, well, you know, Bill Ayers is a terrorist. I don't think, I think people hear that phrase and they don't believe it because, you know, in a post-2001, when you hear terrorist, 
You think of a guy flying a plane into a building and killing 3,000 people. And so people think to themselves, well, I've never even heard of this Bill Ayers guy. So that that must be made up. If he was a terrorist, I would have heard Bill of him. Bill Ayers, that's a name for a white man. Yeah, they, they, How could they he possibly be a terrorist. That's right. That's what the average American, because they've been trained to think of terrorists as being these, you know, Islamic radicals or whatever, you know. And, and so they go, well, I've never heard of him. That can't be real. If he was a terrorist, they weren't heard of him. What McCain should have done in the Democratic debate, just to see if he could make Obama deny it, McCain should have just said, look, like, you're, you know, you had a get to know the candidate meeting at the house of a guy who helped to bomb a police station, which is true. You know, you had a get-to-know, you know, your your candidacy uh, had a meeting at the house of a guy who helped uh, organize a bombing of the U.S. Capitol, which is true, you know. Um, you know, that's what he should have done. Uh, because that would because then it would have put Obama in the position of denying it, which he can't, because that because it is true. Um, but, in, but just doing this business of, like, at least palling around with terrorists, it just sounds stupid, and no one believes it. So the Republicans are just making mistakes that are, I hate to say I'm disappointed because they're evil, but I mean, I ex, you know, I expect better. I really expect better from Republicans. I expect competence, at least, and this is not that. I, uh, but they're not helping. They should have hired me. Man, the Republicans that hired me, McCann would be up by like 15 right now. I could have put John McCain. If they put me in charge right now, I could win this for John McCain. I'm putting it out there. I, I can win. No, no, no. I, no. No, I can bring this home. No. I'm putting it out there. Rick Emerson is for sale. I can win. I can get John McCain a five-point bump like tomorrow they hire me. I'm offering my services. Rick Emerson can be bought. Uh, I am for sale. So I am offering uh, my strategy services uh, to the GOP or to whoever will pay me the most. So Obama doesn't really need it at this point. McCain does. I'm telling you. Rick Emerson, Bobby, I'm your white knight. So Richie is standing by to take those calls. I'm just saying, if they listen to me, what are you going to do? All right. Uh, oh, but here's why Fox, and then we'll move on. Here's why Fox is whipping John McCain on this, because Fox knows that all of the, the Republican, the Republican base is just so angry and confused. And I mean, and let's be clear, I'm not saying that everybody, you know, we're not trying to, you know, just tag everybody with the same thing here. But we all know that on both sides of the aisle, liberal and and, and conservative, there's a fair share of crazy people. They're oh, all yeah. evil. I mean, my wife's my wife's friends, you know, are just big. Big, bleeding-heart liberal bastards, and they're all just nuts. They're all so crazy. I mean, they're all just so unbelievably out of touch with reality, glomming on to, like, every retarded conspiracy theory that comes along and sitting there rolling the I Ching to try to figure out, like, what, how many points Obama's going to win. I mean, they're just, they're just inbreds. But there's a bunch of those people on the right, too. And we've all seen those videos of, you know, interviewing people outside the McCain-Palin rallies where they're using all of these horrible racial slurs. He don't like white people. Exactly. He thinks we're stupid and we're not. That we, we were watching. We were watching. We were watching some. Uh, and, uh, in a, it, yeah, it was an international. And it was on the BBC, too, by the way, in case anybody thinks it's like an Al Jazeera thing. It was on BBC. And they were interviewing these idiots, these mouth breathers outside a McCain rally. And they were you know, like, why, why don't you like Barack Obama? And this woman, I, I wish I could remember the actual phrase. This is the woman saying this. I am paraphrasing what a woman said on the news outside of a McCain rally. I am paraphrasing her. She said something very, very much like, well, I think he's, what did she say? I think the blacks are going to rise up against us if Obama I don't think he lacks the white. No, yeah. but, there was, but there was that, but there was another woman who literally said something yes. like, I think the blacks will rise against mm -hmm. us. And you're watching and you're just kind of going, really? Come on. I mean, Really? I mean, it, it, really, you know, and you just can't. But it, but there is that faction. Well, these are all those little towns that are in really, really small print that you need to find a magnifying glass yeah. to find. Towns uh, not unlike some small towns in Oregon. And uh, 
But, you know, the Democrats would be the same way if they were losing. You know, when the Democrats lose, that's when they begin screaming about, you know, Carl Rove is a stonecutter. But since it's the Republicans, there's this whole section where they're getting so angry. And it is this anger filled. Would you agree with this, that it is an anger mixed with confusion? Because yeah. they don't understand how this senator from Illinois that nobody had ever heard of a couple of years ago is beating John McCain, is, is you know cleaning their clocks. And so it's like all this anger and confusion, which just makes them angrier. Yeah. Um, and so they're going nuts. And Fox is, you know, Fox are no fools. They know where their bread is buttered. Fox News knows that that, uh, that hardcore Republican base is their viewing audience, and they know that that base is angry at John McCain. So it's a pretty savvy rating strategy. That's why Fox News is beating up on John McCain. They don't care about John McCain. They're, they care about their ratings, and they know that's the way to satisfy their audience. So, man, I'm back to not wanting this election to end. I mean, today, I might feel differently tomorrow. Today, I'm back to wanting this election just to go forever and ever and ever. All right. We call it right now. Where do you think, uh, where do you, who do you think wins? We call it today. Tim? I we, seriously think. The election's today. That Obama is quite a bit more ahead than the polls are showing. You think that uh, they say it's like five or six, but it's probably more than oh, that? Oh, I'm sure it's more than that. Yeah. Right. Sarah? The election's tomorrow. I still don't want to say it. Come on now. Okay, just well, whisper, I'd... just between you and I. I'm still so hurt from John Kerry. Used and abandoned. No, I just, I, I still really am. And you know what? I just, I really thought that we were going to make a comeback last time around. And so I'm just, I'm, I am. I'm superstitious. You I'm don't want to say it out loud. I don't want to. No, John Kerry broke my spirit. Yeah. Well, he was a tool, though. He did. Well, plus, like, we all were, like, convinced, like, well, look, America wants a new, a, you know. A, a new, new direction. direction. <laughs> and, um, I don't know. Well, Americans just, want more war. I'm still so hurt. Yeah. All right. Um, I think right now, I think, see, I'm sort of the opposite of you, Tim. I think right now Obama's got it, but I think it's going to be closer than people think. I really do. All right. Um, because, A, I mean, there's that so-called Bradley effect, mm -hmm. which is where a pollster calls your house and you say, uh, hey, who are you voting for? And people go, um, that Barack Obama. I, he's a fine young man. But then, of course, you go to fill out the ballot, and there's a certain slice of America that goes, what kind of name is Obama anyway? I better go with McCain. And then they check it off. And so that's the Bradley effect, where what people, the, the biases that people will sometimes not show to a pollster, they'll show in the privacy of the booth. Mm. Um, and there's also this, I hate to say this, but just all of these, uh, you know, the whole, uh, you know, the, the youth thing, you know, you know all these young Usually people for fizzles. Obama. Well, that's the thing. They yeah, and it may have fizzled a long time ago for all we know. Well, you remember in 2004, that was the John Kerry, you know, John, the, the young people will put me in office. And then they all just slept in. They all just stayed at home and got high. And none of them turned out. I remember John King from CNN, who I love. John King was on CNN doing the... With a magic map. He was Yes, he was there on CNN on election night, 2004, right before Sarah sent me a text that said, no, 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 no. Um, and they were doing that weird Tetris thing where they had the things on the side of the building that were raising. And John McCain, uh, John McCain, John King said, I can remember this like it was yesterday, John King said, uh, Kerry was, Senator Kerry was pinning his hopes to young people turning out in record numbers, and it did not happen. That's what he said. And then all the college kids just stayed at home and were, like, humping and drinking, and they didn't vote. So I do think that there's a large number of people who believe that Obama's got it so in the bag they don't have to vote. I, I think that I'm pretty sure there's a big chunk of people who are like, hey, Mc, you know, McCain's toast. Obama's got it. You're done. So, you know, they, so they're not going to bother to vote because they think Obama's got it. And I think Obama will still win. Yeah, but I think it's going to be very close. I think a lot of those uh, Obama voters aren't going to show up to the polls today because they think it's a, they think it's a lock. That would be my guess. Oh God, I hope that doesn't happen. I think he'll still win, but I think it's going to be close. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so uh, anyway, so to recap, Republicans, I can be bought. You hire Rick Emerson, your fortunes turn around. That's all I'm saying. All right, here's Tim Riley.
All right. So enough of that. So if you want to see that whole uh, Fox interview, go to RileyLive.com. We have the whole thing. Back to other things now. Uh, let's see. Okay. Then we have Democratic presidential nominee Barack Obama has thanked former Secretary of State Colin Powell for his endorsement. Of course, Powell's a Republican. He was on uh, Meet the Press yesterday when he made the big announcement. Today I'm beyond honored. I am deeply humbled to have the support of General Colin Powell. So uh, Obama uh, thanked Colin Powell for his endorsement at a rally in North Carolina. General Powell has defended this nation bravely. He has embodied our highest ideals through his long and distinguished public service. He and his wife, Alma, have inspired millions of young people to serve in their communities and their country. So Powell says he's still a Republican, but was, yes. I'm sorry, I wasn't laughing at that. I was just going to say, I'm sorry, I wanted to clarify I was laughing because somebody said, just real quickly, if the Republicans uh, have an ounce of brains, this is their only chance to win. Have George Bush come out today and strongly endorse Obama. That'd be great. <laughs> Run commercials with W waxing on and on about how Obama will best be able to carry no! on his legacy. Yes. Show, oh, my God. Show glossy photos of W shaking hands with Obama and smiling. As they pull out slowly to the, to the drumbeat of patriotic music. That's brilliant. That, that is brilliant. That is the most amazing well idea. Uh, anyway, so uh, was this expected, do you think, that Powell was going to endorse Obama? No, nobody talked about it beforehand. Yeah. Well, that's uh, kind of a surprise. That's a big deal, though, because he, you know, he is at the, you know, the strong military credentials. Uh, Powell was troubled by the negative campaign of John McCain. To focus on people like uh, Mr. Ayers, these trivial issues, for the purpose of suggesting that somehow Mr. Obama would have some kind of terrorist inclinations, I thought that was over the top. It was beyond just good political fighting back and forth. He didn't like McCain's campaign at all. I was troubled a couple of weeks ago when, in the middle of the crisis, the campaign said, we're going to go negative, and they announced it. We're going to go negative and attack his character through Bill Ayers. And now I guess uh, the message this week is we're going to call him a socialist. Now, has McCain actually said the word socialist, or is yeah, that a yes, thing yes, we're I all making that, up? I have that somewhere here. Yeah, I have it coming up. Okay, so McCain actually says the word socialist. Because uh -huh. I wondered if that was one of those things where the word had just gotten floated, floated around so much that we just sort of assumed he'd said it and he really hadn't. Sarah Palin said it, too. Oh, well, she's, yeah. Uh, just, so, uh, boy, that SNL thing, let's go back to that for just one second. The... the, the, the Oh, so here she is. Well, let's play this. Is this no, SNL? I'm not going to take any of your questions, but I do want to take this opportunity to say live from New York. It's Saturday night. That was the whole moment right there when I was like, you know, they like her people must just figure it's done for McCain, and they are just doing everything they can to, to buff her up so that in, so that either a she can run in 2012, which won't happen, or b. They can just milk that for every speaking dollar it's worth Wait, in the was future. This, was this the one that was hosted by Josh Brolin? Yeah. I don't know because I only watched the Sarah Palin oh, yeah, bit. I know watched... everyone just fast forwarded oh, ahead. Is there more? Is there more? No, there's nothing more. All I did was watch the Sarah Palin. Yeah, because I thought I heard that she was on there, and so I went to it and I saw this horribly boring Josh Brolin, you know, opening yeah. monologue. And I'm like, like okay, no, I mean, yeah, it's big square head. I mean, I, you know, I think we've all kind of been watching the Sarah Palin segments on SNL this year, but there's nothing on that show. I mean, apart from that Sarah Palin stuff and Tina Fey, there's nothing on that show when I watch it. And I don't mean to, you know, sound cranky about it or whatever. It was a great show. It had its time. But there's nothing on SNL that convinces me that it's still really relevant. And as I've said a few times, I think it's you really, really, really have to work at this point to make sketch comedy a relevant form of humor. And I think we've just moved beyond sketch comedy. It just feels very dated as a type of humor. I mean, The Daily Show and Stephen Colbert and those guys have really picked up the torch. The idea of having people 
uh, put on costumes and do like wacky characters with silly catchphrases for like 19 interminable minutes on a Saturday. Shades of Sid Caesar. Yeah, I mean it's just it's over. It's just the, the, the you know the the era of of you know like the recurring character who has the one funny phrase that you wait the whole sketch for him to say. No one cares anymore. I think we we are just moved beyond that. But um, I will say though that uh, that this though has brought a lot of heat back to that show that it didn't have for a long time. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Uh, hey, Rick. A couple things. One, I'm amazed that you went through all that robo call stuff without a single. I barely knew her. Oh, I'm sorry. That's uh, and I wish I had a little equalizer here to actually make it sort of a you know ring ring ring. Hello. Oh, damn it! And now I have it turned off. Ring ring ring. Hello. I barely knew her. All right, that's funny. Couple other, couple other things. One, yeah. I think the comparison with evil you're looking for is the Republicans are sort of that Darth Vader, I'm here and I'm bad evil, and the Democrats are having sort of that. You think you're running against verbal kint, and then the entire time you were dealing with Kaiser so Hey, there you yeah, go. Good one. Well spotted. Okay, that's a great analogy. Well done, sir. Um, and the last thing that I came up with while on hold was uh, the thing with Fox News beating up on McCain. I think is really similar to what you heard about, like the way the Chinese. Uh, treated their uh, Olympic heroes that weren't so heroic, or like the way the Iraqis would torture their soccer team. After oh, it was they, all love. You got browns. Whole place. family made into soup. <laughs> yeah, no. you you lost by one point. Unfortunately, we're going to have to kill you all. Yeah. All right. Thank you, sir. So, yeah, take care. All right. We're not referring to John McCain there, by the way. Oh, yeah. and, and then they sh- they show Sarah Palin standing with some old man. I go, is that her father? It turns out it's Lorne Michaels. I mean, he looked really old. He looked really old, but he's also had a lot of work done. You can tell he's had the he's had quite a but bit of work. Still, he looks really well. I'm sure he's lived a tough life backstage all these years. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You look at him a few years ago, and you look at him now, face suddenly a lot smoother, very wrinkle free compared to what he was, which is fine. But uh, yeah, he's had some work done. SNL, as much as it, I think, has outlived its shelf life, I think it's that show is just, I think it's it's a zombie show. It just is lurching along, and it's unaware that it's dead. But really, so many fascinating books about that. There is a book, I think, that is actually just called Saturday Night. that came out in the early 90s, and that, uh, it, boy, just, just amazing stories from behind the scenes of that show. I mean, really staggering. And just sort of a glory era of comedy that is sort of gone to some degree, you know, back when, when you could really get a 50 share on a Saturday night and the and, uh, the entire country, you know, would be watching you do something. I mean, the sense that, as Hunter Thompson said, you jumped on the earth and it bounced back at you. So, all right, here's Tim Riley. So Sarah Palin checked into the Omni Berkshire Hotel in New York City and used an alias. She had some specific instructions. She asked for copies of, because they want everybody to know this, uh-huh. the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times... The New York Post, whatever, Daily News, and USA Today. Uh-huh. She also requested diet soda, Atkins bars, skinny white chocolate mochas, but no whip. She made it very clear, no whip. Also, she requested a thin red straw. A thin red straw? I guess to stir things. It's random. <laughs> you sure it's to stir things, Tim? That's what it said, yes. All right. So now that we're done with Joe's saying mouth, that's not what I heard. She has a lot of pep, is all I'm saying. She does she's from Alaska. She's a lot of pep in her step. She, you know what, you know what's in Alaska, Tim? Moose hunting. A lot of snow. Mm-hmm. Pure snow. Pure snow. I hear Sarah Palin likes snow. And red straws. And red straws. <laughs> Start that rumor now. All right. So now that Sarah Palin is done with Joe the plumber, she has introduced Ed the Dairy Man. Wait, oh. Okay, stop. Before we do that, this is like a nursery rhyme. Is it? Did and you, next week it'll be Old Mother Hubbard. Did you see what she, uh, what name she checked in under? Yes, I, did. I have it here. I tried to find the talking Tina soundbite. It is she, Tina. Yeah, she checked in as Tina. Mm-hmm. 
What is she like? Like freakishly obsessed with Tina Fey now? I don't know. I mean, is it? It seems like trying to be funny. I want to go on SNL and pretend to be Tina Fey. Oh, I never really thought about that. That must be why it is. I was trying to get the talking Tina thing. All right. I just wouldn't mess with Tina Fey if I was her, like you know, little quirky politician. You don't want to screw with comedians. They'll screw you right back. (laughs) Screw with somebody that has a TV show. They will f you. All right. Here's Tim Riley. So, because the general public has a mind like an elementary school student, she introduced Ed the Dairy Man. After seeing someone in the crowd holding up a sign identifying himself as Bob the Builder. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we're all done with Joe the Plumber. So uh, that's that. So let's get back to John McCain here. Wait, but no, but who's Ed the Dairy Man? <laughs> Ed the Dairy Man. You can't just say that and move on. Who is he? Ed the Dairy Man appeared as, uh, in, in public and was holding up a sign identifying himself that way as Ed the Dairy Man. So apparently he wants some attention. She warned voters about Democratic plans to raise taxes on America's hard-working families and small businesses. And a lot of folks just like Joe the Plumber and Ed the Dairyman out there. <laughs> okay. Barack Obama calls it spreading the wealth. Joe Biden calls it higher taxes and patriotic. But Joe the Plumber and Ed the Dairyman, they're going to suffer. I believe this sounds more like socialism. So she actually said socialism. Socialism. Yes. yes. Uh, okay, so McCain probably hasn't, though, yet. Oh, yeah, we have him right here. Oh, excellent. Uh, let's see here. John McCain, number one. It's time now for John McCain to say this is socialism. I think his plans of the, our redistribution of the wealth. He said it himself. We need to spread the wealth around. That's one of the tenets of socialism, but it's more the liberal ding, left, ding, ding. which he's always been on. All liberal right. socialism. Well, good for him. He came out and said it. It wasn't, uh, you know, pussyfooting around. No. no. Fantastic. Now, let's see what else I have here. It's time now for John McCain to defend Joe the Plumber. If I have this correct. Joe the Plumber. Joe didn't ask for Senator Obama to come to his house, and he certainly didn't ask for the political attacks on him from the Obama campaign. <laughs> And the attacks on him are an attack on small businesses all over this country. Hey, did you, uh, did you hear that also? I think his driver's license is suspended. <laughs> yeah. I read that this morning. Driver's license is suspended because he won't pay his tickets. How is, Obama, how is Obama's campaign attacking him? I haven't read I, I don't really know. I know like that we certainly did because he seems like a douche. Uh, but um, and he has a tax lien. Mm-hmm. Also, also not a licensed plumber. I think name not, not Joe as well. So there you go. Yeah, Tim was right. It was like Sam or something. No, he yeah, he seems like a, like it's just a massive tool. John McCain says the government shouldn't take your money and give it to others. America didn't become the greatest nation on earth by giving our money to the government to spread the wealth around. In this country, we believe in spreading opportunity for those who need jobs and those who create them. Oh, just we just done this? I was just Seriously? And by the way, all I understand. I'll, re- I'll remember we don't spread the wealth around the next time I pay my goddamn Multnomah County tax. Jesus. And my and my federal make income any tax. Sense. How well, can people be so stupid? Because they're all a bunch of tool users. I mean, that's that's the thing, right? The, the government shouldn't take American. your money after they take seven hundred billion dollars. That doesn't from count, it? though. Yeah. Those people deserved it. It's just monopoly uh, money. They have a hard time. I'm just saying. All right. I'm just saying, I'll remember that as I get on the phone to call my tax advisor. You know, as I anticipate next April fifteenth uh, raping. So, Jesus. I mean, come on. For the love of God. No, people are stupid. Just, they, they just be honest. Just, just, just admit it. Just go look. We take a whole lot of your money. I, what are you gonna do? I, uh, I didn't create the system. I'm just, uh, I'm just here. So, uh, you know, Jesus God Almighty. Okay. Um, well, my job is to upset people. All right. There we have Freddie Mac. 
secretly paying a Republican consulting firm $2 million to kill legislation. You know, Governor somewhere out there... regulated and trimmed the mortgage finance giant and its sister company, Fannie Mae, three years before the government took control to prevent their collapse. You know, somewhere out there, there's a guy whose name is Freddie Mac. I mean, I feel so bad for him. Uh-huh. Somewhere out there, there's a guy, his name is like Frederick Mack. And hey, Freddie Mac, you know, for the rest of his life, he's going to get that. So they bribed people and got away with it for a while. Yes, yes they did. But John McCain is not involved. $700 billion, Tim. They've fallen on hard times. You know, they're taking people's money away. Can I ask you this question? They're spreading the wealth against my wishes. Here's what, uh, you know, here's what somebody should do. Uh, because I, I don't, I, look, I can't do it all myself. We try here to do, the, here on this program, we do the work of, you know, this show. We do the show, we do the show prep for other stations. We do the show prep for other shows. Uh, I mean, we give ideas away left and right because there's no time to do them all. Here's what somebody ought to do. Uh, I know the financial crisis is no longer, I mean, it's not as big a deal as it was like a week or two ago because we've been distracted by another bright, shiny object. But somebody really ought to do some sort of Susie Orman type thing. You know that deal? They did the skit on SNL. What? What was it? Uh, They did a skit on her. It was kind of funny. Now, but have they, has somebody done a thing where they get, and I don't mean it's a skit, like it's an actual thing, where you get a financial advisor. And it doesn't have to be Susie Orman or Donald Trump. You get some guy. You know, Portland's full of these, you know, businesses where they'll yeah. plan your finances and they'll handle your, you know, your money and help you figure out how to invest and whatever. Where they, they, I should do it right here. I should just do it on this show. We should just cut to the bottom of the page. Get a financial advisor, come on, and, and, and just say, look, uh, so we've got to, you know, pick a car company. We've got one of these car companies that has just asked for $50 billion. You know, I would now like you to speak to them as though they were somebody coming to you to get out of debt on their credit cards. Can you know you hear those commercials all the time where it's like, I'm so behind on my credit card debt and they're going to foreclose and... I need to help consolidate my bills and get a handle on my, a handle on my on my outstanding whatever. And they give you like a credit counselor who sits in a room and goes, "Okay, now the first thing we need to do is cut up these credit cards. And then what we're going to do is now we're have you ever made a budget? Have you ever? Okay, now we're well if you haven't, okay, well we're that's what we're going to do now. Budget is just what we're going to figure out is um how much is coming in every month and then how much is going out every month and and then of the rest, you know, we're just going to figure out how you can try to get a handle um, on this money you owe. And the first thing you're going to have to learn when you do this budget is, um, you know, to pay yourself. I mean, people don't really think about it. They pay their bills, but, uh, you know, pay your, that's a bill, too. So um, you want to start paying yourself first, and then that'll really have you, uh, you know, give you a nest egg in case things go, you know, and we've all had that talk, like in consumer ed or whatever. I just want to get some financial advisor in a room with, like, the AIG guys and just have them, have the woman sit down and go, look, so uh, can I see your books? Okay, how much do you have put away, you know? Because don't they tell you, everybody... And, I mean, nobody really does this. But they tell people, you're supposed to have six months' salary put away. Huh. Six months' living expenses. That now, wouldn't be much. No, it wouldn't. But they say six months' living expenses. Is it too much to expect? I mean, we've already given them all this money, so there's no point in complaining. But is it too much to expect to just call up one of the car companies and go, hey, um, yeah, it's the American people. Look, um, did you have six months of expenses put away? No. No. Why Why? Why is that? Why didn't You should pay yourself first. You know, why... Why didn't you have six months of... Uh, it's a fair question, I think. Why did these companies not have six months of expenses put aside? We're all told to do that. Stupid freaking government couldn't balance a checkbook to save their life. Tell it, yells at us if we don't have six months of living expenses put aside. Jesus. Back to my hating people thing again. Uh, this email says, you're so wrong. Tina Fey is not attractive. Sarah Palin is ugly. But Tina Fey doing her Sarah Palin thing is strangely hot. Hey, speaking of hot, I saw the first five minutes of that Nail and Palin porn film, uh, by the way. Um, it's not all that. I, uh, I don't care for the woman who's playing Sarah Palin. Oh, really? I don't care she's, for big... She's kind of pretty. She's pretty, but I, the big porn implants don't yeah, do Yeah, she does have, me. like, the basketball boobs. I do not care for those big, fake, 
looking implants. Uh, there's maybe just, they'll correct that in the sequel. Maybe they're just they're a big turnoff to me. I just I can't. Uh, no, I can't. I can't. I can't get with that. Uh, oh, and this guy points out my reference is outdated. This guy says there's no more Multnomah County, Multnomah County income tax. Yeah, that was an outdated reference, but you know what I'm talking about. Here's Tim Riley. Oh, the Dow Jones Industrial Average has closed up more than 400 points higher than it has been. By the way, this email says, Rick, remember Multnomah County is controlled by Dem- the Democratic Party who will change your paycheck into dust. <laughs> that is the best description of that I ever heard. Oh, no, don't don't get me wrong. Democrats are just as evil. They're just Democrats are like, uh, you know what Democrats are? Democrats are like the villain in Scooby-Doo before his mask has been taken off and you reveal that it's old man Withers or whatever. The Democratic Party is, you know, where you can sort of delude yourself into thinking that they're not screwing you. Of course they are. So, uh, all right, here's uh, Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. God damn, it's one thirty already. Yes. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know why this show's going by so quickly? It's the first show after the weekend. And because it's just filled with pure distilled genius, it Tim. Is. We have, hey, Richie, have we heard back from the uh, Halsey people about the book burner? No. All right, I'm going to call. If I haven't heard from them by 145, I'm calling, just so you know. All right. Maybe somebody else in the town hall is using the phone. <laughs> They've got that thing plugged in, that Lily Tomlin wire plugged in in the back. I'm sorry. You're going to have to wait. All right. We're taking a break here, Sarah? We sure could, Rick. How exciting. You betcha. Uh, let's take a break. We'll come back after this. More from Tim Riley. Still to come. Top five songs from celebrities who released albums you never even heard of. We'll call it that. Uh, it's the worst song you've ever heard. Let's see. What else? Oh, I still got this family ties question. Or family, uh, not family, it's a facts of life question. Now. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson radio program on AM 970. The Talker. Stay there. I think I must have put this one in late at night. It all sort of blurs together after a while. Yeah, you think? Yeah. Sorry. They all can't be Fallout Boy, Sarah. 503 733 2970. It's the Rick Emerson radio program. Thank you for coming along. It's 503 733 2970. Still to come today, do the uh, top five. Uh, top five artists. To, uh, I don't even know. Top five celebrities who put out an album that you probably never heard of. Like a music album? Yeah. But I mean, that implies they have other albums you did hear of. Top five celebrities. Least likely to put an album, but who did? It's going to bug me the whole day now. I can't figure out the, the, the grammatically correct way to, to put this. Top five celebrities who released albums, even though you would never expect them to do so. That's, That's accurate, really but it's a mouthful. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, let's see. What else? We got that. Uh, I'm going to try to get to this. Uh, it's the worst song you've ever heard. Part two. Jim Roop coming up in a bit. Um, and uh, whatever. Oh, by the way, just for those who were, who were keeping track, we did have this. During the presidential debate, the last one, uh, John McCain averaging 81 blinks a minute. There you go. Uh, let's see. Oh, and uh, Richie, if we don't hear from the uh, Halsey Police Department here in a bit, I'm going to call them because that will not stand. Uh, here's an email. Rick, long story short, I just got back from having a massage because of my bad back. The masseuse sounded exactly like Storm Large. This is a man, by the way. Not Storm, but this guy. Uh, so as I'm laying there on a table, wearing only boxer shorts, this woman is rubbing me down and sounding exactly like uh, the Amazon that is Storm. It was relaxing and unsettling and wonderful and weird. Anyway, well, there you go. Uh, and so forth. Here's Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. And now, though, from the Ministry of Truth, Truth. this is Tim Riley. Police in Ohio say an 89-year-old woman is facing a charge of petty theft. 
because the kids in the neighborhood accuse her of refusing to give their football back. Edna Jester has been arrested in the Cincinnati suburb of Blue Act. Winchell's father complained that Jester kept the youngster's ball after it landed in her yard. Captain Schaefer said there's been an ongoing dispute in the neighborhood over kids' balls landing in the woman's yard. Uh, she's received many calls. Too many things happening here. First of all, we're going to move off of the kids' balls thing for a second. Well, they're ending up in the same. Didn't you just say that said the kids' balls keep ending up in her yard? Uh, no, right. but I'm distracted by the fact that Sarah has a plastic fork in her mouth. I'm sorry, I know it hit my microphone. Sarah had this plastic fork sticking out of her mouth like a toothbrush and just jammed it into the microphone. Did you injure yourself there? Fruit. No, no, it's just kind of scraped. Right. Sorry. Okay, so the kids' balls keep landing in her yard. Yes, and so she, she's keeping the kids she's keeping them. the kids' balls. Well, don't put them in the yard. The minimum penalty for petty theft in Ohio is six months in jail and a fine up to $1,000. I mean, I know this is like the bunny suicide book woman, but I mean, look, we didn't come and put the book in her house. You know, every, because every uh, every block has the grumpy old person, right? Every I, Everybody within the sound of my voice, everybody grew up on a street where there was the old grumpy guy. And if a ball landed on his roof, in his yard, his God forbid, his backyard, you were never getting that back. You would, you would let it go. doesn't matter if you just bought that thing at the store. Ball lands in his backyard or on top of his house, you let it go forever. You gotta let the let it go, and you, you go buy yourself another one because you don't want to talk to that guy. And he's always a veteran who seems like he's a little bit unstable, might have a big collection of knives somewhere. Here's Tim Riley. So there's a brand new uh, Mitt Romney that's been created for this government uh, bailout. Romney bot. Remember, uh, just a few months ago, he said, "Well, business should do whatever it wants, and the government has just too many rules." Well, now he's changed his tune. He says he's not a proponent of government bailing out large corporations, but in this circumstance, it's the right thing to do. The market itself had broken down, and our financial system was very much in doubt. There's a question of whether our dollars are going to be worth very much in the future. And government does have a responsibility to stabilize the financial markets, the credit markets, to keep our money worth something so that markets can work. Wait a minute now. Right, is there some flim flammery going on there, Tim? Mm, it seems different than what he was saying a few months back. I don't have the sound bites in front of me, but there seems to be like the Massachusetts Mitt Romney, if I'm not correct. I can't really uh, pay attention because I'm always distracted by how much he sounds like Alan Davis. Mm -hmm. So that's it. Every time he talks, I just picture uh, our old program director, Alan Davis. So, uh, well, except, I he's doing very well in Kansas City. Bastard. Right. But I'm just extending our best wishes to an old friend. You are truly, truly, truly terrible person. And I like it. All right. Uh, here's Tim Riley, an awful person. The grandson of Franklin Delano Roosevelt says today's economy is as bad as it was in the 1930s. This is H. Delano Roosevelt. He stopped into Rapid City over the weekend, uh, pleading with the voters not to make the same mistakes as happened during his grandfather's administration. He says Barack Obama has the right ideas to put the economy back on track. FDR didn't have all the answers, and neither does Senator Obama. But, but both of them had the inner strength to surround themselves with the best and the brightest people to try and get to uh, to get the country back to times of prosperity. I mean, why doesn't... Do we know that that's actually... It doesn't sound like a Roosevelt to me. What does a Roosevelt sound like? Well, more dignified. And by dignified, you mean more East Coast? Yes. All right. Well, no. Some, he just sounds like somebody from some working class New York neighborhood. So what is, what is Franklin... Well, okay, now I'm trying to remember what Franklin Delano Roosevelt sounds like. He did speak on television that one time, so yes, I should did. know. Mm -hmm. um, no, he spoke on television quite a bit in his fireside chat. Is Franklin Delano Roosevelt the president that Annie meets in the movie of the same name? Yes. She meets FDR, and then she sings, The Sun Will Come Out Tomorrow, and then you just want him to punch her in the face. I uh, didn't personally. Oh, man. 
Boy, you know, it really is enough to make you. Uh, it really is enough to make you wish for more orphanages. You watch that movie. I mean, and it's just after a while, you're just like, you know, Annie, this is why nobody wants to adopt you because because you're cloying and you keep bursting into song. Maybe if you just uh, learn to use your inside voice and speak when spoken to, you'd have a mommy and daddy, Annie. All right, here's Tim Riley. Double snuff watch. Here's your double snuff watch uh, for uh, whatever the hell this is, Monday on the Rick Emerson Show. Annie, when I asked if you could sing tomorrow, I meant not today. Tomorrow and somewhere else away from me. Here's Tim Riley. Levi Stubbs, the lead singer for, uh, singer rather, for the Motown Rhythm and Blues Quartet, The Four Tops, has died at the age of 72 in Michigan after a long battle with illness. He died at his home. We were informed he wasn't uh, brought to the hospital. He was followed by his doctor because he'd been ill for quite some time. Stubbs formed The Four Tops in 1954 with a high school friend, Abdul Duke Bakar, and Ronaldo Obi Benson and Lawrence Payton. The band signed with the legendary Motown label in 1963. And in 1986, Stubbs' baritone voice was used in the film Little Shop of Horrors. Stubbs was uh, one of the few contemporary singers to be immortalized in songs by others. Levi Stubbs' Tears by Britain songwriter Billy Bragg made it onto the British chart in 1986. The Four Tops were indicted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1990. Stubbs' death brings the original band down to one surviving member. But I will say that the Four Tops... I mean, you know, because those songs were what that was early '60s, you say. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, way even before my time. But um, they they really just they just don't make groups like that anymore. They just don't. And I think maybe part of that is because Motown Barry Gordy had such an iron grip of control over all those groups. Uh, you know, there was the Holland Dozier Holland songwriting team and uh, the Lieber Stoller songwriting team. I think did some stuff there. And of course, they had those uh, the session musicians. Have you ever seen the documentary Standing in the Shadows of Motown? No, I have not. Oh, man, you got to see that. Uh, Standing in the Shadows of Motown is a fantastic documentary. Because when you think of, you know, this is a double-edged sword. You know, when you think about these guys that played, when you think of the Four Tops or the Temptations or Martha Reeves and the, Vand- uh, you know, the Vandellas, uh, Vandellas, 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 Martha Reeves and Vandellas, uh, you know, or the Supremes uh, or any of those groups, you know, you think about the singers. You think about, you think about the vocalists mm-hmm. and you don't really ever think, well, like, who's playing the guitar on that? You know, who's playing the drums on that song? So when you hear My Girl, which is by The Temptations, was one of the most beautiful songs ever created. I mean, My Girl is just, like, one of the most perfect things in the history of everything. Especially that little string section in the middle, they do that bridge, on the that orchestral bridge in the middle. And it's just staggeringly beautiful. But, like, you know, you don't know who, who that was playing on that. You have no idea who the instrumentation, uh, the instrumentalists are on a Motown song, because it's all you just think of the vocalist. And so Standing in the Shadows of Motown is this great documentary where they, they go back and they find the guys who were the house band who played the, the instruments on those songs. And they note that the Motown house band had more top tens to their name than it was like Elvis, the Beatles, and Elton John combined. Uh, but they were just sort of faceless and nameless because, it was, because Barry Gordy was so about putting the singers out front. Um, and I don't remember his name but the guy who was the sort of go-to session drummer from Motown, he had one of those like double names like Freddie Fredrickson or Robbie Robertson or something like that. But the guy who was the the, the drummer for most of those big Motown hits is just unbelievable. Just one of the best drummers you've ever heard in your life. 
but just uh, you know, no real fame of any kind because he was just sort of overshadowed by these guys who were you know who were doing the singing. But that being said, you know, they just you know, you look back at all those Motown hits, all the Four Tops, and just you take just the Four Tops and the Temptations, just the songs. I mean, and just the real big, obvious mainstream songs that they've that they had. I mean, it's, they just it's it's unbelievable. Uh, they just uh, there aren't a lot of those groups around anymore. Those vocal groups are just a thing of the past, unfortunately. All right, that's the first part. Part two. Fashion critic Mr. Blackwell has in Los Angeles. We should come up with a pithy headline about it. Um, we should totally uh, write some insulting headlines about how he looks in his coffin. You know what I mean? Like his final outfit that he's wearing. Oh, I wonder what he is wearing, actually. I don't know. Because, you know, he had all those great lines about the, you know, like when he called, um, God, what did he call Barbara Streisand? He called her like a... Barbara Streisand, she looks like a masculine bride of Frankenstein. <laughs> exactly. That's it. There you go. That's it. Right there. Um, yes. So Mr. Blackwell's real name is Richard Seltzer. He was born in 1922. Damn it, I'm, hold on, I'm sorry. Seltzer. For the love of all that's holy. Seltzer. I barely knew right. her. He was one of the first tongue-in-cheek uh, criticizers of Hollywood fashion going back to 1960, long before Joan Rivers and others turned such ridicule into a daily affair. Year after year, he would take Hollywood's reigning stars and other celebrities to task for failing to dress in what he thought was the way... That, you know, he only came out like once a year, which made you wonder, what did he do for the rest of the year? Well, the, the interesting thing about him is I think he started out as a designer mm -hmm. uh, in the late 50s, and then in 1960, he did this list, which got a lot of attention. Mm -hmm. And, he, you know, being no fool, he went, hey, well, that, wait a minute, that's where the money is. So it does, it does raise that question of, of what did he do the other 364 days? Was that enough that he could just be... Like living on a beach somewhere? Mm -hmm. yeah. That's, you know, that's all you really need in this country. Not to be like the jump to conclusions guy, but I mean, that's all you need is one good idea, man. You can just spend the rest of your life making money on that. It was an eagerly anticipated media event on the second Tuesday in January of every year. He would assemble reporters at his mansion for a lavish breakfast before making a dramatic entrance for the television cameras. So uh, he abandoned his acting career in 1958 after failing to make it in movies and switched to fashion design. He claimed to be the first to make designer jeans for women, and his salon had begun to attract some famous Hollywood names. So he owned some salon. He quickly uh, became a celebrity and became a fashion favorite on the TV circuit. He hosted his own show, Mr. Blackwell Presents, in 1968 and appeared in himself as a... Uh, Oh, he was in Matlock in Matt Houston a couple of times. In 1992, he sued Johnny Carson for claiming that he had added Mother Teresa to his list, saying the comment exposed him to hatred and ridicule. NBC's response was that the Tonight Show host was obviously joking. But uh, so he was a designer, then he became the fashion guy. But that still doesn't really answer the question, what did he do the rest of the year? That is a, a good question. You know, there must be a lot of people like that who have that, you know, the, the big thing they do once a year. And then, but you know, but then you sort of wonder, like, okay, you got 51 more weeks. Like, what are you, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. uh, I'm trying to think of somebody. So maybe they live like Dick Clark. Now. The only person that comes to mind is Santa Claus. Uh, <laughs> so that does. If it's, I don't really know that that's quantifiable. Um, who else has like a? Who else has a real once a year or one time a year? You know, cash, cash in bonanza. Who else is somebody like that? I mean, Dick Clark, but he's obviously he's got his hands in a lot of things. I mean, not anymore. Uh, but uh, you know, he was obviously running a lot of businesses. There's got to be some other Mr. Blackwell-type guy that, that we could find just to try to figure out the what, what they do the rest of the year. Maybe not. I maybe mean, not. Maybe, maybe it's just him. the last of a vanishing breed. All right. So. Well, Mr. Blackwell. I think maybe like Joan Rivers who just comes out for just like the fancy 
Maybe, but she's she also like things on TV. But she's right. a pitch, she does a lot. She's a pitch woman, and she does. She's a correspondent occasionally for various galas and so forth. But I mean, Mr. Blackwell was the actual. He was the very embodiment of that American idea. You find one idea and you ring it for every dollar you possibly can. Oh, listen to this. He had a troubled, poverty-ridden childhood, in which he was a truant, a thief, and a prostitute. Excellent. Good for him. And he wrote a book called From Rags to Bitches. <laughs> of course he did. Well done. He's like the pet rock guy. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody sort of references that pet rock guy, but here's my question. Where is he? Like, what is up with the pet rock guy? Did he make enough money to retire? Is no, he just I, living I the rest of his so. life like, I am the pet rock guy. Screw you. All right. Well, uh, there's your double snuff watch uh, from Monday on the Rick Emerson radio program. Here's Tim Riley. Madonna and Guy Ritchie's divorce might not be settled just yet. According to the Daily News, Liz Rosenberg, who's her spokeswoman, is dispelling rumors, of course she's lying before, claiming the celebrity <laughs> couple has decided on how to split their fortune. Stories have been circulating in London's tabloids over the weekend claiming the monetary decisions had been made in the highly publicized divorce. Rosenberg refused to comment on reports, but stressed the divorce settlement has not yet been finalized. Britain's The Sun reported yesterday that the film director, Richie, would receive $60 million in assets. That report included the former couple's 1,200-acre English countryside estate, a London pub, and a cash settlement. The report also claimed Madonna would keep homes in New York and Los Angeles, and her fortune is said to be worth $600 million. Jesus. No wonder she has to keep working. So 65 million pounds or dollars? It says dollars. All right. So that's like 15 pounds or something at this point. But... Uh, Still, I mean, a lot of a door prize for, uh, you know, for marrying Madonna. Yeah, well done, Guy Ritchie. All right, you know, brothers doing it for themselves, I guess. Mm. Oh, speaking of uh, tabloids, by the way, did you see this thing about, we don't really follow this a whole lot because we're not part of the East Coast uh, elite, uh, but, you know, that whole Christy Brinkley divorce that happened last year where, like, her husband was getting it on with the 18-year-old, who was like a secretary or a nanny or something? Uh-huh. Christy Brinkley, Peter Cook, that was the guy. He just seems like a real douche. Um, yeah, he's just all around creepy. I mean, Christy Brinkley seems crazy. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but she's crazy, and he was a douche. But I've got this here from the National Enquirer. Diana, Diana rather, Diana Bianchi, Bianchi, whatever her name is. But she's the she's the 18 year old. Is uh, let's see, Diana, the then uh, the then 18 year old other woman in the Christy Brinkley Peter Cook divorce is reportedly horrified. The Peter Cook. Taped a steamy sex session with her and his Southampton architectural officers. Still images. Ma- this is how gra- this is how classy this guy is. He denies it. I have no knowledge of such crap. And the New York Post is, the New York Post actually says we own it. We have it. It's ours. It's in our office. Um, shows the Long Island. Lo- she can't be a Long Island Lolita. That's Amy Fisher. That's the, that's like saying you're going to get ready to rumble. You well, can't maybe do that. She's the new one. Maybe it's like Menudo. Like every 15 years, there's a new one. You're doing a sizzling striptease. Before getting down to business with Christy, uh, with Christy Brinkley's then husband. All right, no idea she was being. She's kind of weird looking though. I don't. I don't she didn't do a whole lot for me. No, I did. I can't. Uh, no, I can't say that. I'm, I can't say that I'm for that. Let's do one more and then we'll break. We'll come back with uh, in the next hour at Jim, on KCMD Portland. Jim Roop. Uh, let's see. We will have it's the worst song you've ever heard, uh, and we'll have uh, today's top five. Uh, and uh, so forth. Here's Tim Riley. Life in small-town America. A 29-year-old Swan Creek, uh, Creek Townsend man is in the Saginaw County Jail after receiving sexual favors from a vacuum cleaner. 
This happened at the Thomas Township Car Wash. I like that they call it a sexual favor, which implies that the vacuum cleaner has some sort of like, sentient would you please? intelligence of its own, sir. Is whether may, may, may I have a moment of your time, Mr. Vacuum? <laughs> Will Monsieur be needing anything else this morning? Well, Vacuum, it's funny you should ask. I have a favor to ask. What sort of favor, sir? Flash at 6.45 a.m. <laughs> the officer parked some distance away, approaching on foot, and caught the man in the act. I've seen some strange things, but this is the weirdest thing I've ever heard, said he. <laughs> After receiving sexual favors from a vacuum. Wait, so he's having sexual favors with the vacuum or getting... The I vacuum even offered know. and he accepted. Mm -hmm. Sir, it's not my fault. The vacuum, the vacuum was leading me on, sir. Vacuum wanted it. The vacuum was asking for it. Looking all haughty. All right. Wow, smutty. I know. Shush. All That's right. usually you. Yeah, it is. I just been laughing that you had to dump Tim and nobody else heard that. I had to dump you just now, Tim. Oh, did I slip and say something wrong? You did. You didn't say township. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Just like Kira Phillips using the C word. No, I didn't say that. No, you didn't. Right. Yes. All right. Shall we break? Yeah. Hey, if you're on hold, I'm looking at you, people who are on hold. We've got somebody about Jerry Lewis. Well, whatever. All right. Hang on. Uh, as well as uh, robocall calls. Try to control my filthy mouth. Tim. No need to work blue, Tim. You'll never play the big rooms that way. All right. Back after this with your phone calls. More from Tim Riley. Later on, Jim Roop. Top five and more. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Don't go anywhere. How much you pay for what you used to get for free? And there goes the last DJ who plays what he wants to play and says what he wants to say. Hey, hey, hey. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. What's that? We're interview Eric Weihenmayer, who climbed the highest mountain in the world, Mount Everest. But he's gay. It's true. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Uh, coming up this hour, we'll uh, do the uh, top five. Top five celebrity albums you never knew existed. Something like that. You know what it is. Um, what else? Like is coming up at three. More from Tim Riley. Uh, we're going to try to call the Halsey Police Department. About this uh, woman that's all bent on book burning. And I'm not making that up. I know that it sounds like I'm doing news from 1952, but you just have to trust me when I say that there's a woman who's planning to burn books. Um, let's see, your phone calls and more. This, however, is CNN Radio correspondent and man of the world, James Roop. Hello, sir. My king, how are you? How was your weekend? That was okay. Was it uh, satisfying? It was... Uh... A little less relaxing than I would have liked. However, it was fine. Why was it? Uh, why was it not relaxing? Because my to-do list was longer than Mount Everest that was climbed by the gay man. Um, okay, fair enough. Or whatever what, that mountain was. What, that they... When you say to-do list, now is this like stuff around the house, or like your wife gives you to do? Yeah, yeah. you know, it's yeah. just. Why well, I got married, I have no idea. <laughs> What what sorts of items were on your list this weekend? I mean, was it like a clean out the rain spout, or is it you know? Uh, you know, get out the Halloween crap to put on the windows. Like, I don't want to do that anyway. Why doesn't she do that? Right. Um, she knows where it is. Get a ladder, pull it down. Real simple. I'm with you on that. You know, uh, it's just uh, stuff like that. You know, the yard work and the repairing this and that. We had a little, um... A tiff? 
No, 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 oh. no, no. We're we're pretty good partnership. I just say this stuff when she's not around. <laughs> Excellent. Well, that's the only way it can be said. Really. I'm, I'm in know, the I'm same a boat. Big whip, I'll tell you that for sure. Oh man. no, no, no. I'm in the same boat, my friend. I'll face a freaking fire, but I won't face her. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay then. Um, I had this just so we can you know commiserate. So here, here's my thing: is my wife and I had this. Uh, we had to, you know, you hear something. So sometimes about couples that have an understanding. Here's our understanding: is that I can't bring myself to do dishes. I just can't. I can't. I can't. Even with a dishwasher, and that makes me sound like a lame ass. Even with a dishwasher, I, there's something about it, man. It, it, doing the dishes, cleaning, it, emptying the dishwasher for some you. reason. And I think it's because when I was a kid. That was the task that got assigned to me, like, right out of the womb. Like, as soon as I was born, my mom was like, and you will empty the dishwasher. <laughs> and so my whole life I was emptying the dishwasher, and I just grew to hate it. And I think as a form of just kind of adult rebellion, it's like, you know what, as an adult, I don't eat broccoli. Uh, you know, you, or asparagus. You can't make me. I don't care what you do. I'm not going to, especially asparagus. I'm not going to eat asparagus. I just won't. I will not, and there's nothing anybody can do to make me eat asparagus. That you can control. Right, and I'm just, you know, so it's like I'm an adult, and that's me taking it back just a little bit. Um, so it is with with the dishes. I just hate emptying the dishwasher, scraping, especially if you're like, you know, you ever do this, you empty the dishwasher in that jazz where you you look at the plate or whatever, and it's not clean, and you're like, Jesus, all right, I can either just put it through again, and it's going to come out the same way, but it's going to be more baked on, or I can scrape it. But, of course, it's already gone through the dishwasher once, so it's already dried, so it's like cement. So you're sitting there like, <laughs> like scraping it with a stupid thing, and... They're sitting there going, God, I hate my life. And, you know, and the sink always reeks. And then, oh, and then, and, you know, and then it's all the ancillary stuff. Like you get crap in the drain of the dishwasher, and it's like all oh, this weird, like garbage juice food, and it's just horrible. So my wife and I had came to an understanding, which is that she will do the kitchen, but I do the bathroom, uh, which which is fine. I don't mind that. You know, and to clean the sink, you know, give the toilet a little scrub, empty the trash, basically done. Especially because the bathroom is much smaller. Our bathroom is a lot smaller than the kitchen. So I typically don't have any problem with that, except, much like Ed McMahon before us, we have this black mold. I don't know if it's like the bad kind, but it is like a dark, dark mold that grows all over our walls and our ceiling if you don't kind of real keep an eye on it. And I sort of have gotten really behind on it. So my wife finally just has enough, and she's like, you know what? I don't ask you to do a lot, but let's be honest. You agreed to do the, if I agreed to do the kitchen, you agreed to do the bathroom. Like, there's no complaining. You agree. That was the split. That was, we all agreed to this. And I was like, okay. And you can't really argue. And you also can't argue with the fact that the bathroom is just, you know, it's just got this, it's got this weird, furry, gangrenous crap growing all over the walls. <laughs> but of course, because I'm an idiot, I've never, I haven't bothered to prepare for this. So I haven't bought like a, like a broom brush kind of thing that'll reach the ceiling. And you can't just like, like, give it a, just a once-over. Like, you got to scrub it, that crap off. So I'm standing in the bathroom for, like, three hours on a chair with this handheld brush. And it's nobody's fault but my own. I let it get to this point. Standing there, scraping the ceiling. And you have to do it in, like, patches of, like, three inches square. And, and after a while, you can just feel your spine bending into a cue, you know? Yeah. So, anyways, I'm just saying I'm with you. What I color are the pain. walls in your bathroom? Well, they're theoretically white. Uh occasionally now black when they're covered in mold, but even now when I get them clean, they never really go back to white. They're kind of this weird brownish yellow. You know what you can do is you you, you get a little spray bottle. You put, I don't know, a quarter of that bleach, uh -huh. fill the rest of it with uh, water, uh -huh. and just squirt squirt those areas. And it, it you don't have to sit there and scrub that mold. It just it bleaches them out. Really? So then I could just give it like a quick brushing? Yep, that's it. Oh, I'm totally going to try that. Every, you know, once a week just... 
Spritz the uh, mold and uh, it stays away. All right, I'm out. Okay, that, I'm... that that seriously, man, that uh, cl- Clorox crap that'll kill it. And all the, here's the other thing too. Is just, Sarah and I have talked about this, that uh, Tina Fey makes frequent refer- reference to single women who live alone having this fear of choking to death because there's nobody around to save them. So you're at home and drowning your sorrows in like a like a pretzel from the microwave. And, you know, when you're halfway through the pretzel and, and there's nobody around to save you. Here's my thing. I don't fear that. My thing is falling off a chair and just snapping my spine right there on the ground. <laughs> and every time I'm in the bathroom, like the chair won't fit into the bathtub, obviously. So I'm having to clean the ceiling above the bathtub, too. So what am I doing? I'm like, you know, like one wall against the far or one foot against the the shower wall, like the little raised edge of the bathroom. And then the other foot on the edge of the bathtub, which is like slick porcelain or whatever and wet. And I'm just the whole time I'm thinking, like, you know, I'm going to fall and I'm going to crack my neck and then I'm going to be like Christopher Reeve for the rest of my life. And now you got to get those uh, Gilligan's Island shoes, uh, uh, um, deck shoes. Like, or like suction cup things. Yeah, man. Yeah. Anyway, it's just a you bad kill scene. yourself. Yeah. All for mold. I mean, let the ceiling go black, for Christ's sake. I see, that's, that was my point. If you let it go, if you let the mold grow long enough, then it looks like a new color. And, and it looks like it was meant to be that looks way. looks like a pattern. It just looks like it looks like some of that fuzzy wallpaper they used to have at Shakey's Pizza. Um, <laughs> well, in any event, um, yeah. Hey, so I didn't think OJ was going to get convicted, but then the good Lord smiled upon me. Is there any chance that Britney Spears is going to go to jail? Well, there's indications the jury's uh, 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 the jury's having trouble reaching a verdict here. They asked the judge a couple of questions. He's going to bring them back uh, real soon here and try to figure out what their problem is. But, you know, I mean, I, I think there's a good possibility. In the state of California, I don't know about what it's like in Oregon or anywhere else, but you have 10 days from the time you you move here right. to get a California driver's license. If And she was involved in a, uh, they call it a hit and run. It was a fender bender that, you know, she left the scene of. You remember that? Right. Yes, Paparazzi I do. Cut it up. Well, that that whole that thing was settled between the owners of the car and Britney Spears, but the criminal aspect of this thing is is leaving the accident and not having a valid driver's license. So, technically, she could be convicted. Now, I doubt that she'll receive six months in jail and a fine, um, which is the maximum in this case because, you know, she could get that. Right. Uh, she doesn't have much of a criminal record. She's just nutty, and that's no crime in and of itself. So chances are she'll get a fine, but yeah, there, I, I think there's something there. I think that she'll probably get a little, little more than a slap on the wrist. I'm telling you, here's the thing: I, someday when I become grand, irremovable dictator, and you, my right hand henchman, I'm going to just institute some system where there is no bargaining, no mitigation, no extenuating circumstances. In other words, that the judge and the jury don't have any control over this. Where it's like, you know, if you commit the crime. Uh, you know, you take the punishment, and for people who say, well, there's different levels of crime, and sometimes people, you know, I don't think it would be that hard to get some brainiac. You know, you get some uh, some team of mathematicians, and you just have them devise a formula yeah. for every variable. In other words, okay, you hit a guy, and then you leave the scene. And then the other variable is this business of not having a driver's license. And the other variable is, is it your first offense? And the other variable is... Um, is anybody injured? Is anybody injured? And the other yeah. variable is, are there loved ones depending upon your income? And then the other variable... Well, you intoxicated. Exactly. You do a whole series of variables. You, you can, start checking off the list and say, all oh, that adds up to X. Yeah, you, you can get some some spreadsheet, some computer program you do it. And you just go through, you check the box, and then you hit, bam, and you hit the button, and it gives you a precisely tailored punishment, a predetermined punishment for that combination of variables in that crime. In other words, that way you're not giving everybody who taps a fender six months in jail... 
but you but you give everybody who commits exactly that crime with the same circumstances the exact same sentence. Exactly. That's totally what I would do. I would absolutely put it in the hands of mathematicians to determine that to make sure that everybody pays the same price for the same uh, kind of crime. You know, the funny thing about this is last week, I think the trial lasted a day. Uh, the uh, there was opening right. statements. There was uh, a couple of witnesses. Then there were closing arguments all on the same day. Spears never showed up. She didn't testify on her behalf. She is just sitting at home waiting for this thing all to come up. And her lawyer claimed she was going to move back to Louisiana anyway, where she does have a valid license. So she saw no reason to get one here. Well, just because she saw no reason doesn't mean it's okay. Right, right. And so, yeah, you're right. I mean, and, and the fact that he's fighting this because she doesn't want – any kind of criminal record, even a misdemeanor on her. I mean, what is that? She's Britney Spears, for Christ's sake. Does that matter? I mean, she shaved her head. Does affect her, really? She shaved her head and showed everybody her area. I mean, really, what is... <laughs> you know, what's a misdemeanor driving without a trying to preserve your virgin image? I mean, really, when, who cares? It's better than a tattoo in many respects in show business. Uh-huh. I mean, any kind of court conviction, misdemeanor or felony nowadays, is a badge of courage can, for the entertainment industry. She can get... Yeah, you know, she has street cred, her and Suge Knight. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. There you go. But it really is. It's it's so ridiculous. I can't believe the judge even allowed it to go forward. That he seated a jury for it. That he, I, I, what we tolerate is, and what we have to pay for tax wise is amazing. To oh, me. Yeah. No, I was, was going to say when they, and, and uh, there's the jury selection and Phil Spector's retrial is going on oh, right God. now. God, God, really? We have to go through that whole thing again. I mean, I, we, yeah. I mean, you. Same to judge go, too. To go through that whole thing again. Well, the only the good thing about that is we'll get another cavalcade of hairstyles from Phil. That'll be it. That's the yeah, only good thing. I mean, thing. he's looking good today. Nice dark suit, red tie. You know, he still yes. has that uh, you know Peter Tork style hairdo going. Um, pretty. You know, he, he, the judge asked him to stand up and face the potential jurors. Right. You know, he's, the judge says we're looking for the fairest jury we can find. You know, on, for this trial, that's going to definitely get some media you attention. Know, I got to tell you, it, it would be. I, you, I almost wonder that when the Greeks came up with the jury system. Uh, you know, and our legal system is in many ways derived from that of Greece. When the Greeks came up with a jury system, you wonder if they were just intentionally screwing us. Like, hey, this is really gonna, this is really gonna mess things up down the line. Watch this. Because, I mean, that's, you know, the political and, and uh, you know, penal procedures in this country are really what make us a great country. But as you said, boy, it's just just a phenomenal waste of time and energy sometimes, like even beyond calculation. Just oh. because so much of it is obvious. Right. And we're going to sit through it anyway. Right. That's I mean, what I'm come saying. come on. Yeah, you know. You, you a... should get something for admitting it. Phil say, you know what, yeah, 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 I didn't really intend to kill her, but, hey, the gun went off. It was in my hand. I'm really sorry, you know. Well, okay, Phil, you're 183 years old. We're just going to give you six months in jail and, you know, give all your money to, right. you know, some organization. I mean, he should have been, you know, look, I, look, I shot her, but I'm crazy. What do you, what do you yeah. want? I, yeah, just I, admit it, man. Come on, you know. Uh, you know, right. stay in house arrest. That's no more, No more green M&Ms for you or something. You know, something. Someday when you and I, uh, someday when you and I run this country, my friend. I'd like to round them all up and stick them in a box somewhere and just look at them. I'm charge admission. <laughs> well, there's your re- there's how you pay for it. That's your reality show. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's the thing. And you could totally do that too. Uh, where you know, here's the thing. Every year, you get all these people who've been convicted, uh, and then you randomly draw numbers, and then you know, five of them at a time, they each get it like an apartment with with no doors where they can't leave, and there's a camera. Yeah. And you never know, you know, sometimes it might be just five just guys from the Bronx, and sometimes it might be like four guys in the, you know, Suge Knight and Britney Spears and two guys from down the street and the, you know, and a crooked cab driver. You yeah, know, there's, just, there's enough channels. That's, I mean, there, there you go. And it it pays for its aid. It pays as it goes. 
Uh, well, maybe uh, maybe after you and I uh, set things right in this country. <laughs> uh, That'd be part of the process. That's that's what I'm saying. All right, enjoy your day, my friend. Thank you very much. Uh, I'll talk to you soon. There you go, Jim Roop. All right, let's do these calls, then we'll uh, see where we are. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. What's up? Hi, uh, you were talking about what happened to the pet rock guy earlier. Yes. So I Googled him. The guy, who, the guy who invented the pet rock, yes. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how much of this is true because it was on Wikipedia, but with the money, he apparently opened a place called Los Gatos Bar. Mm-hmm. And then in 2000, he won the Bulwer-Lytton Fiction Contest that awards authors of crafting bad purple prose. Okay. And it's also the author of Advertising for Dummies. And he was featured in 1970s documentary film by Orofino High School students that can be seen on YouTube. All right, excellent, thank you. Okay, so the so the I would believe that he'd done that marketing uh, for a dummies book because that's look a guy convinced an entire generation of people to buy a rock. I mean, a rock. It was a rock in a box. So people say pet rock, and if you're of a certain generation, you might not even really know what the pet rock is. Sarah, do you really know what a pet rock is? A rock in a box? I guess I'd just given it away, but I mean, it, it's but it was a gag gift. It literally. Was I, just, I remember like seeing them, but yeah. I never. Owned it was a literally a stone from the garden that they put in a box with some grass, and they punched air holes in it because you know the rock needs air, and then you paid like five dollars for it. It's a rock in a box. Uh, so I mean, you know, look if that guy can, that is the very definition of a salesman right there. Convince people to pay for something they could have gotten for free in their backyard. Excellent. All right, thank you for the. Uh, what is your name? Brittany. Brittany, uh, now may I ask your age, Brittany? Eighteen. Eighteen. Now, um, what day? What's today? What's today, Sarah? Um, it's the twentieth. Now, please forgive the question. Uh, oughtn't you be in school, Brittany, or are you have you graduated? Oh no, I graduated. All right, excellent. Uh, so how did you discover this program? Oh, my dad was listening to it and in the car, and I was just like, "What did happen to the pet rock guy?" So and so I piqued your interest, and you decided you had to know. Yeah. All right, excellent. Well, you uh, call us anytime, Brittany. Okay, thank you. All right, thank Bye. you. There you go. That's Brittany. There you go. Warping them young. What we do here. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, Rick. This is sure. Tom. Hey, uh, you uh, missed uh, uh, the uh, ultimate uh, robocall. Which is? Okay, uh, ring, ring. Hello. Hello. Sarah Connor, do you know that Barack Obama is consorting with terrorists and eats hot dogs? Okay, that's amusing. All right. Excellent. All right, thank you. All right, there you go. All right. Now there's something there. Okay. Uh, what time is it? Two twenty. Damn, damn, man. All time is a flying. To do. Well, I may not be able to call the sheriff's office. In, oh, in we will office. be able to call the sheriff's office. All right. Do you want to get back? Yeah. Let's so do let's it. do this. We'll take a break. Let's get hold of them at the break. Let's do some other crap. I don't want the sheriff to do here. We'll take a break. We'll come back. Tim Riley with headlines. We're going to call the Halsey Sheriff's Office about this woman who uh, is saying she's going to burn books. That's not going to happen on our watch. I assure you. Uh, then we'll do the top five. Top five celebrities who released albums, even though you had no idea that they did it, and they're unlikely in. How's it going for you? Shut up! Back after this, the Rick Emerson program. We return next. Well, you know, I feel that way about Madonna. Well, maybe not that way. Uh, so Sarah was saying that she thinks Christina Aguilera is going to be the next Anna Nicole Smith. So you think that because she's just becoming more and more like a caricature, the way she looks? She's, she's become a parody of herself. Do you have a recent photo? The last yeah. time I saw her was just her with like those boobs that were like three feet out in front of her. She had like the big nursing uh, bosom. Oh, this one isn't very big, but I saw one like a couple days. I'll, I'll find you one. The last time I saw her, she was on Ellen at the show. Uh, and it was, you know, she came out and she had that like low-cut dress, and everybody was just sort of distracted by the, her, her massive uh, bazooms. So 
I haven't seen her since then. But here's the thing about Madonna. I hate to say this. You know, I love Madonna, but she's aging. I think she's aging poorly. I think she's, I think she's choosing the wrong, the wrong way to look as she gets older. I think uh, Madonna would do really well if she uh, decided to age sort of gracefully and become a sort of like a sophisticated look. But she keeps trying to do that like aerobics teacher thing where she's wearing like these really like revealing like workout togs and apparently just not eating at all and uh, having every ounce of fat liposuctioned off of her. And she's just kind of she has kind of got that weird Linda Hamilton in T2 like, uh, you know, like bounty hunter thing going on. And I uh, it doesn't seem like a very good look to me. I I'm just saying I think Mm. she could go a different way. Uh, we'll do the top five here in a minute. Here's Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. And now, though, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. A United Airlines pilot has been arrested on suspicion of being drunk. A 44-year-old pilot was led off the plane at London's Heathrow Airport. Uh, police were tipped off by a member of the airport's ground staff who suspected the pilot may have been drinking before the 5,300-mile flight. The man was arrested and has been returned to Heathrow uh, Police Station pending further inquiries. United's alcohol policy is among the strictest in the industries, and we have no tolerance of abuse for uh, pilots getting drunk. Safety is their number one priority. A couple of police officers stormed onto the plane as they were sitting down and went straight to the cockpit. Oh, that'll, that'll freak you out. You're sitting on the plane, you see the cops dragging the pilot away? Mm-hmm. Yeah, It was Count a horrible way to start our trip, said one passenger. Our dream holiday could have become a nightmare. I'll take a train. Our Cannibal Watch also comes from the U.K. Here's your Cannibal Watch for Monday on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. There's equal opportunity everywhere. This is about a gay cannibal. A British chef who killed a man with a knife and cooked and ate his flesh has been sentenced to a minimum of 30 years in prison. The judge said Anthony Morley showed no remorse of the killing of Damien Oldfield. Morley attacked Oldfield during a night the pair spent together at Morley's home in the northern town of Leeds. He slit Oldfield's throat as he lay in bed, standing repeatedly, and cooked some of his flesh. The judge rejected Morley's claim that he had been provoked when Orfield unexpectedly initiated sexual contact oh. after the pair watch broke back mountain. <laughs> I'm sorry. Really? Yes, really. He's using a broke back mountain defense for killing a guy and then cooking him. Right. This is different than the Twinkie defense. Apparently. I. Uh... Okay. So after the how attack... do you provoke someone into cooking you? I mean, I can see provoke someone into stabbing you, like maybe you're trying to kill a guy. He fights mm-hmm. back. How exactly? Because by definition, doesn't that mean like? Provoking, like the cooking is something that happens after you're dead. Yes. Is that like you leave a taunting letter or something? That you discover, I dare you to cook me, sissy. You know, I mean, how is it that you provoke a guy into cooking you? They are British. I after guess. the attack, Morley <laughs> walked into a nearby restaurant in a blood-splattered dressing gown, telling staff and police that he had killed someone. And Courtney claimed to have no memory of the attack or what he did with the body afterward. The judge said the whole crime is one of the most gruesome murders he ever encountered and called Morley a dangerous man who has yet to apologize for his crime. Morley hung his head in shame as the sentence was read. All right, then. There's your Cannibal Watch from Britain uh, for Monday on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Speaking of Weird Al, have you heard the new Weird Al song? I have not, no. 
Uh, it's about the economy. It's a parody of that, uh, it's that T-Pain song. It's a parody of that. Uh, I listened to it, but I, I haven't played it yet. I don't so. know anything by T-Pain. Um, he's uh, one of today's most popular recording artists. The kids love him. Um, okay, so we're going to do the top five here in a second. Do I have time to call the sheriff's office? No. I think it's one or the other. I can do both. All right. Which which should I do? Should I call the sheriff's office about this bunny book burning woman, or should I do the top five? Sheriff's office. Tomorrow it'll be old news. Sarah just mouthed top five at me, Tim. No, no, no. We're gonna, I'm just saying. You know, that isn't what I meant. But you know, you know what I mean. Well, we're going to find yeah. out what she's all about. Uh, all right. Well, do you think you'll be able to get her on the phone? Well, I'm not going to be able to get her on the phone. I, w- I just want to. I want to be able to talk. To, I wanted to talk to the sheriff's office because she's admitting to committing a crime and then is in print planning more. That being said, I did tease this celebrity thing quite a lot. Tim, what do you think as a newsman? I'm just torn between the two stories. I as don't am know. I, because this, cause it could be really funny to the, call the sheriff's office, but we don't know if anyone's going to answer. Well, the top five will hold. Well, let's try to call right now. All right. Uh, and the, 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 you know, they may not answer. Look, if Nobody I, even really knows. Since you couldn't properly word it, nobody even knows what the top five is yeah, really about. And, you know, in the top five, well, it'll still be there tomorrow. All, All right. right. Uh, hey, uh, hey, Richie. We always promise things anyway. Richie, do you, have the, do you have the phone number for the sheriff's office in Halsey or the police? Is that it on the screen right there? Okay. Sarah, can I borrow your phone? I can't. Uh, I don't have my cell phone with me. I don't yes, think I can die. I can't. And I can die a lot down here, but it would be on the air. Ah. All right, let's see here. Uh, am I just. Do I have to dial a one? I believe so. You know, why do you have to dial a one, Tim? What's that about? I don't know. But I mean. I mean, I very seldom make phone calls. Some reason for that. Is it me? Because when you're on a cell phone now, you don't have to dial one, do you? Like on a cell phone, you can just dial oh, the I number. See. You don't. So why did you ever? If you don't have to dial one on a cell phone to make a long distance call, why did you ever have to dial one? I, I think you had to do it uh, during a landline, so the operator would know what you're doing. But I mean, well, all right, it doesn't make any sense. It does. I'm not an authority on phones. I spent very little time making phone calls. All right, if ever. <clears throat> In real time, now. All right. <laughs> In real time, we're making a phone call. Hi, Carla. Um, so how may I reach your police department? Non-emergency. Lynn County Sheriff's Office. Yeah, non non-emergency. I'm I simply wish to speak to the uh, to the police. So, okay, what would that number be? Okay. I think I can already hear it. I can hear it too. Let me hold the uh, microphone further away. Wish I had some elevator music. Okay, great. Thank you so much. All right, okay. All right, hold on. All right. Try, okay, I'm dialing. Uh... You didn't say goodbye. Oh, did I not say goodbye? No, oh, you're like, oh, all right, okay. I'm an ass. I'm you sorry. Are. Sorry, Carla. They're probably used to it. All right. And Carla and was so nice to dialing you. This next, dialing this other number she gave me. I'm going to stand over here. So people can hear you speak? Yes. Okay. In the meantime, what do we do? I don't know. I guess we sit here and watch Rick talk on my cell phone and use yeah, my minutes. Hi there. Um, so <laughs> I'm uh, calling to ask about a. A news article that I read today that I do believe has a, has indication that a crime has been committed and an indication that a crime will be committed in the future. And I'm talking about this story about the Central Lynn High School Library. And 
it's a, I'm, I'm rather unnerved, I have to say, as an Oregon resident uh, by the story. There's a woman named Kathy Anderson here, and she says that um, she's taken this book uh, from the library, says that she's going to burn the book, not going to return it, going to burn it, and then if any subsequent, if the book is replaced in the library, she's going to take those books and burn those as well. And I have to say that as a, as a taxpayer, uh, I'm really unnerved by the fact that this woman is, is talking to the media, just announcing that she's going to burn books, especially those that belong to the library, which means they were paid for by public money. It is the Central Lynn High School Library. So the uh, – well, I haven't because uh, it seems like it's a criminal matter, and so that's why I wanted to tell you. It is, in fact, it's theft. So um, if – Mm-hmm. Right. So, so as a as a taxpayer who did help to pay for this book, um, I I have. I'm so well because she this there is an article. This is from the Associated Press. I'm reading a story from the Associated Press in which, in um, it, this is from uh, our news station KGW is reporting this, and the Associated Press is the source of the story. And so she is actually confessing, it seems to me, uh, to, 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 to keeping this book, which does not belong to her. And she actually, she does say that she plans to burn the book. She, she says that, that I'm quoting from the article. So my question is, mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so if the so if the library confirms uh, that this is true, then you can proceed. Mm-hmm. Okay, great, thank you. All right, there you go. Okay, so what happened? Okay, yeah, they're they're clearly they have no interest in pursuing this at all. First of all, uh, they, I should say this. Cover like a five hundred mile radius. I know. I will say this. Uh, you, I'm sorry, you dropped my mic just a little bit there. Um, I'll say this. She, the person with whom I spoke, clearly doesn't believe the story. It kept pressing me on whether the story was made up. She didn't put it that way, but she said, what is the source? Where did you read this? What newspaper was this in? And I said the Associated Press, which obviously didn't register with her as like, I don't think. The ultimate source of I, Well, I don't think, I, I'm not entirely clear she never heard the phrase Associated Press before. I don't mean to sound all East Coast elite, but, you know, the Associated Press is the world's largest gathering and disseminator of, uh, you know, of news. So it, it wasn't entirely clear she knew what the Associated Press was. And I said, and finally I just said, well, I read it at KGW. KGW had it, but it's from the Associated Press. And I read some of the text of this. Mm-hmm. And you, you, I, if I had to wager money right now, I'd say she, she thinks I'm making it up. I think, I think she believes well, it to be a crank call. City folks coming in to cause trouble. I don't think she so thinks it's a real story. I think would, she thinks it's fake. So our next step would be to get a hold of the school well, her, and then the library? Their, their, claim is that the, um, their claim is that the library themselves, that uh, Central Lynn High School, actually has to press charges, as she put it, if the book is actually gone. And, and, and I said, well, you know, the woman is in this article is admitting in print to the Associated Press she has the book, plans to burn it, and I'm reading now again from the Associated Press. If the library replaces it, she will have someone else check it out, and she'll keep that one too. This is the uh, Taffy Anderson. So who interviewed her for this? Um, is it things? Is it someone? It, can uh, we get some, someone from KGW? Some, well, no, no, no. This is an AP story, so just some stringer from the Associated Press. So I, I don't know who that would be. I guess we could call the AP desk for Oregon, and they could probably uh, track down the reporter for us. That's yes. probably good. Good point, Sarah. Mm-hmm. That's probably the next move here. So she claims that the that the Central and High School that they themselves 
if this book is gone, that they have to press charges about it. And I made the case that, you know, as a taxpayer, this is a theft of taxpayer. This is a theft of public property. So yeah, because when your taxes give money to schools, that is for things like libraries. And yeah, whatnot, well, right? uh, this is, I mean, Central Lynn High School Library doesn't sound like a private school to me. That sounds like a public school. It is a theft of public property. And by the way, this woman is in print saying that not only not only is she, uh, to my reading, this is just my reading, to my mind, she is admitting to the theft in print and then flat out giving indication that she plans to burn the book, which is destruction of public property, and then says if, uh, you know, that she will also check out and keep, read, steal the book if it's replaced, which, again, is, uh, you know, that is, a, that is indication of a future crime. She does already appear to be uh, plotting, or at least is open to committing. So, yeah, the... Uh, yeah, the cops didn't seem too interested in that. I don't think they think it's a real story. So, um, so let's, make, let's, let's make them aware of the story. Yes, and clearly it. my next step is to find the AP and then to find a lawyer uh, who uh, perhaps the ACLU would be interested in this. I wonder if the ACLU would be interested in the fact that a public school uh, is going to let someone take a book and burn it. They might be interested in that kind of a story. I'm just saying. What was that look? Oh, no, nothing. I just can't believe... I, I'm just really excited to see where this you is You know what? Go. This is going to counterbalance all of those goddamn thousands of emails they send me every day. Gravest threat to civil liberties ever. Donate now. Tim Riley. Tim Riley. All right. Uh, and so forth. All right. Do we have to break? We could. And then right. take the phone calls on the other side. Okay. If you're, on, if you're on hold, hang tight. We're going to just break now so we, have, uh, so we have time when we get back. All right. So we're going to come back around the corner. If you're on hold, stay right there. We will get your calls when we return. Like us at three. Michael Mara show at seven, uh, and so forth. It's the Rick Emerson radio program. Back after this. Oh, by the way, I was going to wait uh, for tomorrow on this, but I'm just going to get it out there today uh, because you'll probably hear it everywhere. So I want to have this. This is from the Daily Mail, one of London's premier newspapers. Guy Ritchie is said to have told friends. Making love to Madonna was like cuddling up to a piece of gristle. <laughs> yeah. And That's you can just picture that being true. I really can. I'm looking at a picture of her right now, and I can see that being the, uh, the case. I really um, can. Did you just get this thing where somebody just sent us somebody's phone number? No. Or that we're not going to use, of course. Did somebody send us Tappy Anderson's phone number? Perhaps they did. Well, let me look. Hey, look at that. Well, I'm certainly not going to use that, and I can't um, condone anyone else using that. The Rick Emerson Show wishes to go on the record as saying that would be wrong. Uh, we do not advocate, promote, condone, endorse, or encourage uh, any uh, inappropriate behavior of, uh, of that information. That would be wrong, and uh, we are now on the record telling you uh, not to bother Taffy Anderson. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Yeah, hi, Rick Emerson. Dante the cab driver here. Hello, sir. I'm at the corner of uh, Southwest Cedar Hills Boulevard and Southwest Hall. Yes, sir. And I'm going into Powell's, and I'm wondering, what's the name of the book that I'm buying to send to the Central Lynn High School? Oh, good for you. Uh, we should have everybody uh, buy a copy of that book at Powell's Books at Cedar Hills Crossing and send it to the high school. Uh, yeah, the name of the book is, it is called The Book of Bunny Suicides. And um, let me let me actually get the, the actual name here. Hold on, let me... Um, uh, wait one second here. One second. One second. One second. All right, here we go. I'll make the Wikipedia entry for it. The Book of Bunny Suicides by Andy Riley. Uh, just like Tim Riley. Andy Riley. The Book of Bunny Suicides. So, okay. Uh, 
uh, one more thing. For a high-concept topic, you might have the audience weigh in on other books that we might want to make sure that the Central Lynn High School Library has. Well, we'll just, we'll wait and see. Uh, it, it, I'm guessing there'll be, I'm guessing there'll be other removals and burnings. Uh, that's, that's how these things usually go. All right, thank yeah, you, Yeah, well, sir. there's really only, there's really only one burning that I want. Nah, okay. Well, and that burning is of uh, firewood this winter. To yes, keep to keep warm. Let's, Very let's warm. keep our calls within the uh, bounds of decorum, shall we? I are on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. Hello. What's up? Hey, hi. I, I wanted to say thank you for calling the police department. Also, I just wanted to, I didn't yes? see whether or not you had uh, gotten any. Uh... Come on. What? What? What's. All right. Yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> you already have to dump them once and it can't Seriously, that. yeah, no I mean, yeah, e either your friend or the, I appreciate the call, I appreciate you listening, either your friend or the radio needs to be quiet, though, because it's uh, clearly it's giving, you, giving you a little bit of a hassle there. All right. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hi, this is Tracy from Beaverton. Hi, hey. And I just wanted to suggest that you contact the American Library Association. They'd be very interested mm. in finding out that hey. someone is trying to... Uh, you know, steal books from the library and prevent them from... Well, based on my read of the article, actually has the book now yeah. and has announced that they will burn it and, and uh, steal any subsequent books. American Library Association, well spotted. Yeah, they feel very strongly about this kind of stuff. As, they uh, are... As do we all. Censorship, so... All right, great. Yeah. Thank you so much. You're welcome. All right, there you go. We'll make that, that the last call. That was a great suggestion. Yeah, very good. We'll uh, we'll look into that. We'll end on that one for today. All right, we'll follow uh, up on this tomorrow. Also tomorrow we will do these uh, top five celebrity recordings you never would have dreamed existed, or some words to that effect. Uh, also, Nina Parker from TMZ.com and more. Rick Emerson, show produced today and every day by the lovely and talented Sarah Stillen for Amen and Seventy to talk in the newsroom. Tim Riley and the phone's Richie Bristol, the gatekeeper, Dave Sitton, Webmister, Spirit from upstairs, CBS Radio, Portland Marketing Guru, Susan Donat with me, Reynolds. Like us next, Michael Maris Show at 7. Thanks for listening. See you with Tim for the recap tomorrow 11 for the show. Be safe. What's up, Snake? Bye. Interview Eric Weihenmayer, who climbed the highest mountain in the world, Mount Everest. But he's gay.